On this episode, we discuss The Layover. I have no jokes about The Layover, much like the movie The Layover. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Stuart Wellington. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Elliot Kalen. And I just want to say real quick, if we're not at our tippy top top energy today, okay. it's because Stuart, Stuart just flew back from a red eye from the Grand Canyon uh-huh. doing a show for for, the, for Max Fun. Yesterday, I was out marching for our children's lives. And Dan, I'm sure you were doing something also as important yesterday. Uh, I went to Matt Koff's birthday party at a bowling alley. Does that count for anything? Is it... Nope. Okay, let's just moving <laughs> my on. One, Sorry. My, one, my, one, my one arm is kind of tired. I thought we'd hit our listeners with like a trifecta of stories of exciting, like, activism or a creative risk like Stuart took and guys uh, out of and, but you know and okay. guys out of uh out of respect for everybody marching yesterday I'm gonna not say the joke about Dan's arm being tired not from bowling but from jacking off <laughs> thank you for the respect that you've shown <laughs> very respectful um hey guys before we get started uh just want to say this is our second max fun drive episode what's now, the max fun drive Dan Max Fun Drive is uh, the time once a year when we come to you hat in hand to ask for a little cash to help keep our shows running. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of cash. It's a big hat. It's a big hat, and it takes a lot of cash to fill it. Yeah, uh-huh. Max Fun is listener supported in the same way that, say, you know, uh, National Public Radio or PBS is largely listener supported, mm-hmm. and uh, it's your gifts of money that help us uh, give you the. I don't know the entertainment you crave. I guess. <laughs> I mean, don't think oversell of this it. Podcast like a think of this podcast like a living organism, and the money they give us is the food that keeps it alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, See, Elliot, Elliot has clearly is a- just recently watched Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> I did see it yesterday. That's, guys, I had a packed day yesterday. I drove some people to the airport. My family, they're out of town for a couple days. Then I went and marched in an anti-gun march. Then I went to see Annihilation. Then I visited a friend of mine. I had like a weekend's worth of activities in one day. Yeah. Am I tired? You bet. But I'm still here to tell you about Max Fun Drive and how important it is and how necessary it is. Which leads me to say, Dan, you tell them. Uh, I think I already have. Uh, I will make it. The uh, Max Fun Drive technically ended yesterday, but I have it assured from the Max Fun headquarters that if you donate this weekend, it still uh, counts to the drive. Oh, so, cool! Uh, you know, so we're still here telling you about it. Uh, and I think uh, we may have made some promises over social media over the last uh, two weeks during mm-hmm. the Max Fun Drive, and we may or may not have hit those goals. And if we did, hooray! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if we didn't, uh, well, let's keep trying. This weekend still counts. Yeah. Uh, Dan, to, to donate, am I correct in saying that people should go to MaximumFun.org slash donate? That's correct. You got it, buddy. And maybe later in the episode, we'll tell you even more about the amazing bonus content and gifts that you get for your varying levels of donation at MaximumFun.org slash donate for the MaxFun pledge drive now winding down, hopefully after shattering all previous records. Yeah. 
But now, uh, what do we do on this year podcast, Dan? Okay, well, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Uh huh. But we also we also on this podcast promote the Max Fun Drive and shame Dan about his weekend. Uh huh. Look, uh, just because I'm not living your rich, full life doesn't mean that <laughs> I'm not a person of value. Mm-hmm. No, Dan, actually, the fact that you went to a party and w- went bowling was actually, I thought you were going to say you stayed at home and like reorganized your DVDs or something. <laughs> so I'm impressed. Yeah. I mean, I have found enough time in my life to try and rewatch all of the Marvel movies uh, yep. in anticipation of Infinity <laughs> I'm glad, War. I'm glad that you put try and rewatch. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I might not make it. <laughs> Yeah, well, my eyeballs know. might be too tired. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what you know lies ahead? <laughs> That's true. Your eyes are like it's too much, too much blue glowy stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't handle any more blue glowy. And you're <clears> like, just push through the wall, push through it. You can get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been doing really worthwhile things with my time. <laughs> <laughs> See, in addition, to uh, so Dan, in addition to doing a full rewatch of the Marvel movies, which I think I'm about as far as you are, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also doing a full reread of a 14 book science fiction series. Okay, <laughs> what series is that? It's the uh, the Gaunt's Ghost novels by Dan Abnett. Oh, uh, okay. You know, comic book writer, novelist, uh, man about town. I guess <laughs> Dan he's, he's one of the he's one of the two writers. He's one of the two writers you can thank for making the comics that. The Guardians of the Galaxy movies were essentially taken from whole cloth. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting fact. The run that he wrote with Andy Lanning. Yeah. Now, Dan, but you said we watch a movie on this podcast and then we talk about it, yeah. right? And in this okay. case, we watched a movie called The Layover, uh-huh. uh, which uh, we found out is not William H. Macy's directorial debut. But it might as well be. But it's his second film. <laughs> It's his sophomore effort. It's his, I mean, I have to assume it was his dream project. It this was is the one his, that he's been trying to get made for years. <laughs> oh, this yeah. is his. And he cashed all his chips. This is his Rushmore. This is his Boogie Nights. Yeah. This is his Star Wars. Mm hmm. This is his. Um, uh, uh, Go on. Jaws. Kiss. Jaws. <laughs> um, right. His. Now, would you call Jaws Steven Spielberg's second movie? Well, I mean, it depends on whether you count Duel, I suppose. And what about uh, where does Sugarland Express fall in with that? I was, was that, before that was or before after Jaws? Jaws, I believe. I okay. do believe it's true. So it really does everything really is happening does. at the zoo. <laughs> so now the layover. This is not the TV show that Anthony Bourdain hosts sometimes, right? No, this is. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's what I was supposed to watch on the plane. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> uh oh, guys, listeners, uh, I'm just fucking around. I actually did my homework this time. <laughs> I know you're worried. Uh, should, we, should we talk about what the now th- movie is? Yes, yeah, let's probably. talk about the movie. This movie is kind of like an old-fashioned sex comedy, except without the comedy uh-huh. and with very little sex. And it's about two two feisty ladies who are feuding over the same guy. Dan, mm-hmm. you've been in that situation many times. What's that like? Uh, where I've feuded over the same guy with another feisty lady? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep, you got it. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you just got to go with your heart and do what you got to do to make your, you know, your love life what it's got to be. Mm-hmm. Step out of your comfort zone. Yeah. That's what this movie is all about. Uh, <laughs> okay. Actually, let's tell you what this movie really is all about. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, the layover begins. We open with uh, our heroine, Alexandra Daddario, who you may remember from, like, uh, like what? The, True Detective and, and the, San Andreas. And the, and the like, uh, Percy Jackson movies. 
Yeah, I she and those. I'm sure we all remember her from the Percy Jackson. <laughs> right? You guys movie. know those Percy Jackson. <laughs> We're real Jacks heads. <laughs> He's now that's Percy Jackson and the Olympians, right? Uh-huh. That's that movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. I I was not aware of the book series it's based on until afterwards, so I kept seeing posters for it and I thought it was a band. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> That's a pretty, <laughs> pretty crappy name for a band. Very old fashioned name. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so anyway, uh Alexander Dario, she's a high school teacher. She's teaching her school teaching a class about Lord of the Flies because, and, and this also refers to Annihilation, a movie I, I saw yesterday and liked a lot. Uh, every movie that involves a teacher, the teacher can only be teaching something that speaks to the themes of the film. The, the, and the themes of the movie. The and as often as for. like, and as yeah. basically as introductory as possible. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the, these, these, these kids. <laughs> now, this, this, this scene got me excited for the movie because... You guys probably know I'm not a huge fan of kids. I don't okay. like kids that much. Sure, but this mm-hmm. movie introduced mm-hmm. me to a, ki- a kid that I can endorse. The child, the the character Demarius. Okay, who is a young man <laughs> who, instead of reading Lord of the Flies, he is reading some manga uh, underneath his desk. Yeah, uh, and Demarius, I don't know. He's just got this certain style. Like maybe it's the gold chain around his neck, or the way he wears his glasses, like he's Jeffrey Wright. Uh, but man, that kid's, that kid's just awesome. And like when called like out by his a teacher, lot of stuff going, there's a lot of stuff going on with Demarius that was very confusing, like the way he dressed and his body type and his interest in manga. And I was like, they, I think they tried to write this like as colorblind casting as possible. Yeah. Some, and yet it somehow ended up being a character that makes no sense. Who's like this weird mix of like, they, like black and white and nerd and cool kid and like grown up and teen. And I like Demarius is all things. I like, he should be the hero of the movie. <laughs> now was he reading manga or was it like full on hentai? Cause I feel like they were talking about, I mean, how the tentacles were like penises in his, in his words, he was calling it manga. So I'll, okay. I'll just, I'll, I'll accept what Demarius says. All right. Uh, but the fact that I like, mean, my guess is that my guess is that the people making this movie don't really know the difference yes. and assume all Japanese comics has tentacle penises in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's they've a, never read Grave of the Fireflies, which has nary a tentacle penis <laughs> to be found. Maybe, maybe they have little like margin comics like Mezumune Shira does. <laughs> Of tentacle penises. <laughs> uh, Maybe possible. Uh, but the thing about Demarius is when called out by his teacher and it's revealed that he's reading uh, comics under the table, instead of being embarrassed, he is like, nope, I'm going to start reading you dialogue and te- and panel descriptions. Well, she makes him, but uh, but he seems to be cool with it. Yeah, oh, with gusto. He has I mean, no shame whatsoever. He, he displays levels of confidence that only she can she can only hope to achieve. <laughs> or maybe she achieves by the end of the movie. We'll find out. Yeah. Now, uh, so that gets interrupted by uh, the principal of the school, uh, Rob Cordry, uh-huh. my old coworker. Yeah. He comes in and now th- there's some cross-cutting back and forth. Let's just say what happens with Daddario first, then we'll get to Kate Upton. Uh, Daddario is told by the principal that he would like her to resign so that he doesn't have to fire her. Yeah. It's never it's never made, made clear. clear why. Yeah, it, I assume it's uh you know just funding issues because it doesn't seem like she's <laughs> doing a bad job as a teacher other than But she's I mean, also like an English teacher. So it's not like this is a like a it's not an extracurricular type of class right. that's outside of the main core school educational curriculum. Like I don't I don't get it. Anyway, but she is she is disheartened by this clearly as she should be. Meanwhile, 
her roommate and best friend Kate Upton uh-huh. is trying to sell unsafe North Korean cosmetics <laughs> to yep. the buyer for a cosmetics company. Uh-huh. Sounds funnier than it plays in the movie. It plays very badly, and it's also like she puts this lip gloss on, and then it burns her lips, and she has to pretend it's not burning, and she runs out, and it's like, so am, am I supposed to sympathize with her? Because if she gets what she wants, then she's going to hurt untold <laughs> numbers of people. I would like I would like a pre-credit sequence of her like establishing the connections to some North Korean company that'll provide her these cosmetics. <laughs> That's the other thing is she's she's breaking international law, which is or American embargo law, which is pointed out like the the FBI should be investigating her right now. Like, I don't know how she bought that stuff. Uh, And then she goes outside to find that her car is towed and she utters the first of numerous swear words because one of Kate Upton's character, one of her personality. So we've already figured out here are the two characters. Alexander Daddario is supposed to be like the good girl who wants to do good. And Kate Upton is the bad girl who only wants to party. Yeah, they are their roommates together in an enormous apartment. I think it has four floors. I yeah, mean, it's a it's Seattle, dude. You can get I mean, uh, like what real estate's not expensive in Seattle, right? <laughs> this is one of the many things that stressed me out about this movie because. <laughs> all right. So the movie starts out with uh, Alexander Daddario just being a teacher and having a teacher's salary and Kate Upton apparently uh, just excuse me excuse me Dan just being a teacher as if a teacher is not I something just, to cherish I just mean in terms not something of something to have pride okay, about I'm talking about financial <laughs> stability of being a teacher and like the, the understood I'm just busting your chops McCoy keep on keeping so on. she doesn't have any money Kate Upton is you know doing this cosmetic scam she presumably has no money uh-huh. and in the in the midst of this movie like and, and Daddario gets fired, so then they take a vacation. She and presumes that she's getting things. fired. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, that's yeah. The the way that money is dealt with in this movie is interesting because it's never really a, it's never really an issue. No. But they bring it up a lot. They bring up specific pricings often. Yeah. My guess is that both of these characters, the backstory I gave them was they both have rich families, and it's like. They don't really have to worry about money, but it's embarrassing to have to go ask mommy and daddy for more books. Oh, that makes sense. Because they throw mo- they throw money around like crazy. Yes. But yeah, but you're right. Like one of them has no job and just bought ten thousand bottles of poisonous North Korean lip gloss, <laughs> and the other one is working on a public school teacher's salary. She can't be that. It's not like I mean, she couldn't have been doing the job so long that she's built up no. a lot of money from seniority and and extra graduate degrees as how that's how it works when you're a teacher. But uh, so it's like, I don't know, but they, they complain about money a lot, but they never really seem to be in danger no. of running out of money now. So they both cope uh, with they, their their uh, their business problems in different ways. Uh, Alexandra Dodaro does a little bit of uh, retail therapy and Kate Upton presumably like forces her Uber driver into sex with her. Like the way <laughs> that guy reacts to the situation <laughs> seems very much he seems like, more like a hostage. Yes, he does. <laughs> Now with here, and you know that, so you know that Alexander Dadar, just everything about this is very cookie cutter. Like the way that they dress tells you everything you need to know. You know that Alexander Daddario's the good girl because she wears professional clothes. Uh-huh. You know that Kate Upton's the bad girl because she doesn't wear pajama pants when she goes to sleep. Like that, you kind of you always know in a movie if you see a, if you see a grown woman in a movie wearing a shirt and pants to go to sleep, you're like, oh, she's gonna have to bust out of her shell at some point. <laughs> yep, because. Cool babes don't wear pants when they sleep, <laughs> which is crazy. Everyone wears pants when they sleep. I don't wear pants when I sleep. Well, but you're not everyone. You're special. 
Yeah. What am I supposed to wear? <laughs> Wait, like I'm supposed to wear like full button down pajamas? My no, my leg- or slacks, jeans, overalls, <laughs> whatever you want to wear. Oh wow. Just makes my legs hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, the two of them, we see them in their pajamas because they watch The Bachelor together and express their different romantic philosophies about uh, whether they should compete and uh, what's fair in love or war. And my notes, I don't remember what I'm referring to here, but I just say Upton is terrible and terrible is underlined several times. (laughs) You mean her character or her performance? I'm not sure. It applies to both. Okay. (laughs) I mean, no one is particularly good in this movie, but, but Kate Upton is... You can see why she is not setting the world on fire I f- I f- as an actress. I feel like people there. Well, we. I think performances vary, but uh, yeah, for the most part, no. She, she would be the perfectly acceptable lead for like a Hallmark movie. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. She's, she, I could see that. Dan. Before we, what's, before what's that we movie get, about? Yeah, um, it's about so it's Christmas. And okay, uh, yeah, it's a Hallmark movie, duh. Someone needs uh, her dad. Always used to go ice fishing, uh-huh. and she has uh, <laughs> she has a real uh, connection to ice fishing because of that. But they're going to tear down the old ice fishing shack, mm-hmm. and when they do, so. they find her dad's body. Now Harry <laughs> Hole is on the case. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Hallmark Hall of Fame. Yo Nesbo. It's uh, it's a it's uh, a Hallmark. Come on, crossover. <laughs> Yeah, Hallmark, as Stu says. That's a Harry Hallmark uh-huh. <laughs> production. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Stuart, what were we going to say? Uh, I don't fucking remember. Uh... <laughs> well, we don't have time for it because Kate Upton just bought them last-minute tickets to Fort Lauderdale. That's right. They're going to Fort Lickerdale for a little bit of uh, bad girl vacation. Is that is that what they call it? Troubles. Is the, they... That's what... Uh, my uh, a coworker of Dan's who used to be a coworker of mine as well, one James Don. He grew up right near there, and apparently yeah, that they would uh, that's what that people would call it, Fort Lickerdale. Okay. Mm. He said it was a weird place to grow up because when you're a kid, there are all these TV commercials for like spring break crazy things to do. <laughs> so you're like, you're like, is this what grown ups do? <laughs> like this. Uh, uh, they go. This initiates the second part of the movie that created great anxiety in me. Because uh, Kate Upton apparently, <laughs> in one of the throwaway lines, it's kind of funny, honestly. Alexander Daddario said something like, I told you, you could have a bath or poach an egg, but not both. Uh, and in a better movie, that would have gotten a laugh out of me. But she apparently took a long time getting to the airport. And they're stuck behind a big line. And there's nothing that causes me more anxiety in a th- in a movie than people not taking travel seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think we've talked about this. Uh, what to me is when people on in movies or TV leave faucets running. Yeah, okay. Is to you people who are like not giving enough care to their travel plans. Yeah. See, the thing that really stressed me out when like I don't know, like a convicted serial killer is left alone with a child and then he just wanders away <laughs> free. <laughs> like that stresses me out. One movie. I don't know, but so, I'm a little bit crazy. That's one of my my quirks. Yeah. Uh, Stuart, are you forgetting that that was the breakout lovable character of the movie? <laughs> yeah. The movie that. My national acclaim. The, the, the character that the movie ends on. Before like doing a are you, happy version of Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> yeah. apparently making meaning that the audience should be that, happy are, that he. Are you forgetting that he escaped? 
Are you forgetting that Bill Clinton awarded that character the Presidential Medal of Freedom because America so fell in love with this this serial killer who it's described as him driving cross country with a little girl's head tied to his head like a hat. Yep. And that is somehow the character who's now like the adorable mascot oh, for yeah. the film. Thanks for, is that what bothers yeah, you? Thanks for reminding me because I remember when Bill Clinton awarded that character that medal. <laughs> he actually he had to go to that magical movie theater from Last Action Hero and travel into the <laughs> movie universe so he could hand that medal to Steve Buscemi's character. <laughs> I think now you're I think you may be misremembering the cosmology of last action hero that it was a magic ticket and not a magic theater. But yes, otherwise, exactly correct. So wait, I could just take that fucking magic ticket to any old like, yeah, Lowe's like or... movie pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Movie that's how that's how the that's how death from the seventh seal comes up and it starts walking around. Do you think that was playing at the same theater as the latest Arnold Schwarzenegger? Jack, what's his name? Cop action I mean, movie? that no kind of sounds like the Alamo Draft House's programming schedule. <laughs> Touche. Good point. By the way, I'm betting that my movie pass reference is going to be what dates this podcast. Like, by the time we actually release it, it's going to have gone under. I mean, I'm shocked that it hasn't. I have a one of my employees is like has been has been keeping a movie pass journal about of how much he has spent on movie pass uh-huh. and how many dollars worth of tickets he has bought. On Movie Pass, and yeah. it's something like ten times the amount of money. Wow! It's like he's yeah, but he's made he has cost Movie Pass like eight hundred dollars. <laughs> Except he is not the the movie is not the pro, t- not the product. He is the product. The whole thing is just to collect data on people's movie going and purchasing habits. Yeah. So so they can clone like them. the same the, the same way that people are like all this internet stuff. It's totally free. It's not free, dude. If it's free, then you're what's being sold. Anyway, welcome to Chapo Trap House. We got to talk about some stuff. <laughs> yeah, is that the kind of stuff they talk about I have in no Chapo idea. Trap House? I don't. I thought it was all like Simpsons references. I I, I don't like titles that rhyme, so I've been what? avoiding. What? I don't. <laughs> Dan, I we talked just... about this. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I'm always just afraid to listen to it because it, it's a trap. Yeah, it's I don't want to get title. stuck there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Anyway, so uh, they go to Fort. They, so, so this, they have this I gotta say, line, this this but- line sequence where this is when in the movie I thought there was a chance that maybe it was uh, because I was watching on a plane and the altitude was affecting my brain. But this is when I <laughs> I thought that I might have been hearing things are going crazy because it seemed like this is the start of the movie using sound editing to splice in little noises to like punch up some of the scenes. Okay. So when she is, uh, she's trying to get, uh, you know, jump to the front of the line by revealing that she packed underpants in her, in her bag. I thought I heard like little moaning sounds like <laughs> sex noises. And then later on, no, I think those might, I think those might've been in there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going crazy. <laughs> So she is now she's going to try to get to the front of the line to get some extra help from the guy at the desk by making him think about her wearing underpants uh-huh. by show by showing her his the underpants she's packed. Uh, he helps. And then they get to the security line where she eats a hot dog and chugs an entire Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and it's like and at that point, I'm like, this- <laughs> I feel like I have gone through some kind of gender reversing cabinet and then used a magic movie ticket in this movie because <laughs> that's how I like to travel. <laughs> That's you really you really identified with that, with that character. I've often thought of too, you're a Kate Upton type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where did she yeah. Where did she get that uh, that crazy sausage and peppers in the airport? 
I don't know. Having but... spent a I bunch think of time, she brought it with her. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. That's why they were That's late. Like, yeah, they were late because she was making a sausage and peppers. <laughs> yeah, uh, a sausage on a bun with peppers and onions, yeah. and she poached an egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, this again, this is the caricature you see every now and then of like she's supposed to be that much more attractive because she likes guy stuff, but she's also kind of gross. Uh huh. And uh, yeah. and so when, and when she was forced to chug that uh, that Dr Pepper, uh, not really forced. I mean, she chose to do it. Uh, but w- while she was doing it, I think they spliced in background audio of people like saying awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Or maybe that was just me saying it under my breath. <laughs> You're a real layover detective. I missed all these uh, extra clues. <laughs> <laughs> these clues I was, each one is necessary to solve the mystery at the heart of the film see, i was i was in what i consider to be and what my friend christopher nolan considers to be the perfect viewing environment which is on a uh, on a cross-country flight watching a movie on an ipad yeah there is no outside you and, chris, you and your friend chris talk about that a lot yeah yeah me and Chrissy, uh, we yeah, we talk about how we like to watch movies like that. And uh, yeah, the smaller the screen, the better, he says. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, here's the note I have for their, their time on the plane. Vidario's a bad flyer and Upton's brassy and burpy. Yeah. Uh, now, because she's an anxious nerd type, Vidario is, and I, at this point, I did not know either of these characters' names. We're probably 15 minutes into the movie. It took so long before I picked up what these characters' names were. There's a Meg, right? There's a Meg, right? A Meg and I, Katie? Meg is, Don't fucking I think know. Kate Upton is Meg. All right. And Meg is, the is uh, they're both named after a Peter Benchley book. Oh, okay. So she's Meg, <laughs> and Alexander Daddario is Jaws. Okay. Sure. Uh, so she's a... Uh, Alexander Dario is the anxious character, so of course she's like, I don't fly well, uh, uh, uh. and Kate Upton is just burping like crazy. And of course, there's a sassy gay flight attendant who has to comment on all of her burps. Yeah, well, because apparently they this movie is stupid. <laughs> apparently, her burps like stink like farts. Uh, the way that everyone <laughs> reacts to them. I mean, so, I mean, I I've encountered a smelly burp or two in my time, but nothing to the degree that this movie would have us believe. Is possible. You would think she ate a skunk, yeah. and the skunk is living in her throat <laughs> and just spraying musk out of her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, well, I'm going to say I take this as a compliment because I know I've had some stinky burps around Dan, but I'm glad that Dan has forgotten them <laughs> and yeah. not called me out on it. Okay, so she's burping up a storm. Daddario is is getting very anxious uh, and eventually takes some, some, play, some plane pills. Uh, when who sits in between them? But kind of, kind of like a budget Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. type. Yeah. Like, how would you guys describe this? I guy? would describe him as a will, director William H Macy cipher. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he does seem like. I mean, Matthew McConaughey is right in that he seems like the kind of guy who probably would take his shirt off and play some drums. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, and maybe he has a puka shell necklace someplace. Uh huh. Probably. He also has the same haircut that William H. Macy has. He has the same bit of beard that William H. Macy has. I mean, I feel like this is a pretty direct one-to-one correlation. It's like <laughs> well, Woody Allen casting nebbishy dudes in place of himself. That's, <laughs> he is a he is a younger, buff, sort of stretched out William H. Macy. Yeah, well, I yeah, that's true. I mean, I think by saying buff, you're saying that William H. Macy is a buff, and I mean he is pretty cut. <laughs> he's pretty in he's in shape. So you would call him let's for lack of a better word, let's call him William H. Hunky, and the H also stands for hunky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Now I want to. So his name is William Hunky Hunky. Do we have to? Do we have to say that full name every time we refer to the character on the podcast? Uh, if we want this to have any sort of cohesion Lasting and consistency, effect. then yes, of yeah. course. <laughs> I I want to take a moment to say, uh, as this character is being introduced, that I cannot think of a bigger cipher for these two women to be interested in. He is the most boring guy <laughs> that I think I've seen in a movie. Like beyond his looks, there is absolutely nothing that I could see would entice these women. And he's not even that like he's a good looking guy, but he's not an Adonis. But the minute he sits down, they act as if fucking Apollo himself just sat between them. Yeah. Like this is oh my god. Like they can't even they have to take their eyes away because the radiance of his beauty is burning their corneas out. Like they they react to him the way that like I, it's hard. You would think that like a hypnosis ray was placed over the the plane, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. like the purple man walked by and was like, yep. "Hey, the guy who sits next to you is the most handsome man who's ever lived." Like they're just so crazy over him instantly. And but I mean, I think it's <laughs> but uh, they introduced the fact that both of them were big fans of the television show The Bachelor, and uh-huh. I don't think this guy's any more boring than any of the Bachelor contestants. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. That's a good indictment of The Bachelor, but... I, but I mean, but they but they make a point of saying how interested in former Bachelors they both yeah. were. Well, and he's, he's yeah. a fireman, which is... Uh, uh, I did the like the needle that, drop when he uh, revealed he was a fireman. Yeah. And I, like, I, I was on the plane and I started looking around like, are you seeing this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, unfortunately, so they're, they both start flirting with him and competing. And there's this, so Kate Upton starts flirting and Daddario gets a look on her face like someone flipped a switch in her brain. She's like, oh no, I'm going to flirt with him too. And they are like, if this was, at a certain point I was like, is this going to turn into a porno and they're just going to open up his fly and start taking his penis out? Like the way they are like <laughs> so obviously presenting to him. Yeah, I mean, like, you looked at like the rating of the movie. You looked at the rating of the movie and you're like, mm, <laughs> they're probably going to start pulling out his penis and having hardcore sex in this movie. <laughs> I would have so much respect for a movie that just started out like a really stupid R-rated comedy and then in the middle there was the hardest core sex scene, and then the movie doesn't reference it again. Wow. D- right now, Dan is saying, I respect Vincent Gallo movies. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point. Yeah. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is uh, they, uh, they're they they're clearly an estrus <laughs> and are doing what they can to get him interested so in them. At, this, at uh, this point, we've been introduced to both of these characters, and they have been revealed to not, not be particularly good friends to each other. Mm-hmm. They have not been revealed no. to be good at their jobs, or particularly, like, maybe they have charming quirks, maybe, but nothing particular, nothing really stands out about them. And then, so you're like, okay, so they're going to be fighting over this man. At least, maybe the draw of this movie is not that we like these characters, but that they're very good at this, this like, this like cat and mouse spy versus spy type situation. But no, they're both terrible at hitting on this man. Yeah. But they're going to get a lot of chances because there's a storm that forces them to land in St. Louis. Uh, and I, I have and to say they, that I have never seen. Uh, people who have had their plane forced down in a city that's like not really close to where they're going mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. take it in such stride. Like the dude is... Especially when the dude is supposed... is He has to get to Florida for a wedding. Yeah. 
But he seems kind of mildly like, oh, upset man. about it. Yeah. And I mean, the other two He also seems like, like a guy whatever. who not a lot of bad stuff has happened to his whole life. Yeah. Things have been pretty he's, easy he's for like, William H. Hunky. He's like, William H. Hunky is like John Hamm in that 30 Rock episode where he's just used to having things handed to him on a platter mm-hmm. because he's a handsome guy. And let's not forget that our heroes, uh, and I use that term lightly because they're bad people, that are the heroes of the movie are like dandelion seeds in the wind. Like they were already on an impulse flight to Fort Lauderdale. Who knows where life will mm-hmm. take them? Like they're kind of in, they're just taking whatever in Yeah, they're like, you know. St. Louis is pretty good too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's basically the Saint, the Fort Lauderdale of the, of of the West. Missouri, yeah. <laughs> we'll go to the city museum. We'll see the arch. Hey, did you know that, did you know that, uh, the Plessy v. Ferguson case had some interesting <laughs> things. Actually, it wasn't Plessy v. Ferguson. It was, uh, uh, what's the other really th- bad one? I think you could have uh, gotten away with that one. <laughs> yeah. I don't think either of us was no, going to object. No, it's not true. Uh, I'm, getting my, I'm getting my bad Supreme Court decisions So they, well, sh- anyway. they show up at the hotel. Oh, the Dred Scott decision. Did you know Dred Scott was around here? That's what it would have been. They show up at the hotel, and we're introduced to one of the bigger name stars in the movie, Cal Penn, playing a, uh, a hotel manager. And we see a scene of him basically going through all the stuff that you go over <laughs> with a hotel uh, receptionist. Uh, like he, with no jokes. Yeah, there's no, no jokes at all. We see the whole scene. Yeah, uh, the use of Cal Penn in this movie is baffling because he is not given <laughs> anything to do. And you're like, why is a name actor in this role? Uh, I think I think we already mentioned it, Dan. He got a free trip to St. Louis out of the deal. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I will say this. They have to stay at a Sheridan, and the St. Louis Sheridan gets the glamour treatment in this movie. <laughs> Beauty shots of the hotel. There's a scene where the characters walk into the room and talk about how it's not that bad. It's pretty nice, actually. There's apparently a hot nightclub in the Sheridan mm. that is a big Sheridan logo like uh, projected onto the wall. It's like... At a certain point, I'm like, "Am I watching a commercial for Sheridan?" There's and there's. A, I thought this was a movie. In the pool that they have, the guest pool has an has a section that's deep enough for diving. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good, pretty sweet. Yeah, let's all go there. I mean, it looks like this <laughs> the St. Louis Sheridan's where we got to be. Yeah. We can meet Cal Penn. He works there. <laughs> uh, they're all staying at the same hotel. Uh-huh. Them and the hunky guy, and so they make plans to see him. And, and there's, there's this very weird scene. And there's a jeweler's what? convention. Yeah. Oh, and there's also a jeweler's convention going on, and the jewelers, as we'll find out, are a bunch of what of losers. You know, they're kind of lamos. Uh, we there's a weird scene where Daddario kind of says that she doesn't think she's beautiful, and Kate Upton is like, "No, come on, you're beautiful," and I'm like, "Come on, movie! Like, what are you doing?" Yeah, this I do I don't believe this for a moment. But the bigger problem is. Kate Upton's bag is missing, and Daddario will not share her dress for their hot evening at the Sheraton nightclub with William H. Hunky. Yeah. So what is she going to do? She can't go to a store and buy a dress. She would need money for that, and they only have unlimited money. <laughs> yeah. So what do they do? Well, they yeah, go to they Cal do, Penn, <laughs> and uh, Daddario, uh, or sorry, uh, Upton, uh, basically blackmails him into giving him giving her his mother's dress by threatening a bad Yelp review. Now this is where this character lost any sympathy <laughs> I could have. As a small business owner, I know of the power that Yelp has over uh, bars, restaurants, and hotels. Yeah. So that is bullshit, dude. Yeah, mom and pop operations like Sheraton. <laughs> 
so yeah, Kate Upton shows up in a like. Would you? Is it a sari or is it just like a very fancy Indian dress? Uh, they make a joke it looks about like a nice. She calls it a sari, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it looks like a nice sari. It looks like the kind of sari a, an older woman would wear on a on a regular day or to a to a nice restaurant. But everyone acts as if she's dressed as she's Cinderella. Yeah. walking into the mm-hmm. room. Like everyone's, and it's so weird because it's like everyone's heads are turned, and she's wearing the most shapeless dress. I think any, I think she's probably worn in her life. Like it, <coughs> it shows nothing about her, and she should be like it. Just it's another case where they're like, okay, the thing that we have on screen doesn't really live up to what the script needs it to be. But can everybody like amp up their reaction as if this is the most beautiful dress you've People ever seen? People start flipping out. Super sexy. In it. Everybody starts <laughs> flipping out. There's a shot of a guy pouring an orange soda all over himself mm-hmm. out of surprise. <laughs> There's a guy whose uh, eyes and pop you, you out of his head and like his <laughs> tongue unfurls. Yep. Not not to make my second someone taking their penis out reference, but it's uh, Jonah Hill from Wolf of Wall Street just starts <laughs> masturbating in front of everybody like he does to Margot Robbie in that. Uh, that is the weirdest moment in that movie, by the way. <laughs> in a movie full of strange moments, the weirdest one is when Jonah Hill just starts masturbating and yeah. at a party in front of everybody, and everyone is like, hey, come on. They don't act, they're not like... They're just like mildly miffed. They're not disgusted. <laughs> now, do they ever reveal? Police. Is that in in the movie? Was that a, a prosthetic penis or was that Jonah Hill's actual penis? Oh no, that's his real one. He calls it Jonah's Hill. I uh, <laughs> I was doing a bit of a deep dive in celebrity penises uh, yesterday. Yeah, mainly mainly focused around my man Willem Dafoe. Okay, uh, and yeah, apparently he's packing a monster. Um, <laughs> I was reading a Guardian article where one of the the paragraphs uh, op- opens with. Of course, all women find him gorgeous. And I was like, you know, wait, Willem let's, Defoe? Yeah, let's pump, pump those brakes for a second. <laughs> I'm sure he's got a magnetic personality. He seems very exciting and interesting. Yeah. But I feel like, of course, like, come on. Like, You're underestimating the number of women that have a gargoyle fetish. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you're essentially, you're, you're comparing him, I guess, to international teen heartthrob Klaus Kinski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's. We should speed through some of this. Yeah. There's a jewel convention. The jewelers hit on Upton and Daddario, and Kate Upton says that she's a federal agent. She's gonna throw them away, or I don't know. She just threatens them them to let them go. They hang out with Molly Shannon, uh-huh. who uh, is one of the, is hilariously oversexed with her her lover that she's with. Yeah. Uh, and they find out the Stormins. The Stormins getting worse. They're gonna be stuck in St. Louis a little longer. Uh, We're introduced to the other main character of the movie, uh, mm -hmm. Matt Jones, the guy who played Badger on Breaking Bad, who plays one of the uh, nerdy jewelers. Yeah, and he's the only one in Mm -hmm. the movie, I think, that exhibits any charm. And it's certainly not from the way he's written. It's just because he's a charming actor. Yeah, 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 he's fun. Uh, and then we watch everybody dancing for a long time. This dance as, sequence is the de- goes on so fucking long. <laughs> what are you talking about? I thought it went along exactly long enough for a big joke yeah. about a, a nudity, like a like a what like an uh, accidental nudity that you don't actually see. Yeah, yeah. The, Kate Upton, uh, she spins around in her sari, and one of her boobs falls out. The can it is tastefully framed so that we don't see yep. it because. The uh, because what would what would ruin a supposed love triangle sex comedy more than seeing a boob? <laughs> and here's something I'm gonna just gonna mention right now that uh, this movie, and again, I'm gonna sound like a, a gross guy, a gross hetero guy okay. saying this, but okay, let me bu- buckle my seatbelt. Yeah, well, okay, the ratio of yeah, buckle up. It's gonna be a hot take that's gonna make me a lot of enemies. It's, I'm gonna be very unwoke right now. I'm sleeping. The uh. The ratio of actual guys' butts that we see in the movie, which is two, uh-huh. 
The ratio of that to promised boobs, which we do not see, which is zero, we never see, or uh, infinity, because we never <laughs> see any, but we're constantly promised boobs, is very, seems very off to me. It seems strange for this movie. And it makes me think, like, was William H. Macy saying to himself, I'm going to make, like, a, a gross-out romantic comedy for women, where, like, they get to objectify people. It, he doesn't succeed in that, but maybe that's what he was going for. So he's like, it's time for the guys to be to put their meat on display. And the women, they don't have to this time. So you, think, what do you, you think? think the creative process started with the director, William H. Macy? He was like, I want that to be my next project. So I'll get the guy who played Rickety Cricket on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> to write me a screenplay <laughs> about ladies just getting their own thing. Yeah, I mean... I think that's what it was. He's William H. Macy said, I'm going to strike a blow against William H. Misogyny and give women the movie that they Okay. Made. I mean, it's weird because this movie, it does, like, it does seem like it wants to try both things. Like, the movie wants to be about female friendship but then it shows female friendship in the most unflattering light. It shows it like they're as terrible soon as a, friends yeah, to each as other. As soon as like a guy enters the picture, they're gonna be uh, at each other's throat. And of course, the movie is completely boob obsessed. Like I feel like that is why William H <laughs> Macy signed on to the picture because he's like, okay, this will just give me the chance to showcase as much cleavage as I want to put on the. Like I've not. He was offered. He was. He was. They said William H. Two scripts came in for you to direct as your sophomore effort. Okay, tell me about them. One's called The Layover. Does it have boobs in it? Yes. The other one's called Mudbound, and it's kind of a, it's a story about a interracial friendship in the in the, in the nineteen forties in the, in the Deep South. How many boobs are in it? Well, no boobs, but all right. Then I'm doing the other one. Layover, it is. Yeah. I love that we're just imparting these motives to William H. Macy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I think we're just reading between the lines, Dan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, I, and uh, so we should. Oh, what were you gonna say? Sue? I'm trying to think. At this point, uh, you know, they they continue their their conquest after this guy pretty quickly. I'm like, does this guy is this guy intentionally torturing the two of them? Is he just like pitting them against each other to see how far he can go? Like he's some kind of like Luciferian like. <laughs> like gentleman caller demon who's shown up to try and like get them to kill each other. It's a good point because there's no way that he can't tell that they're into him. Like the way that they're behaving. Oh no, he totally knows it. Yeah, but he's as we find out later, he plans to have sex with both of them, and he's just kind of pretending that he's oblivious in order to be the guy that they to keep it going yeah. to to get them to a fevered pitch of hornosity in which they can't keep their hands off of. Okay. Yeah, and. So, so uh, anyway, they go through a series of adventures. They hang out and go to a, on a hot air balloon. Of course, that's not good for Daddario because she's afraid of heights. But William H. Hunky soothes her as they bond over singing a pink song together. The hot air balloon pilot only has one eye. which <laughs> There's almost no jokes attached to it, and it doesn't make any sense. Kate Upton uh, buys champagne and insults Daddario. Here's where I have the note. Why are they friends? And hits the pilot in his good eye with the champagne. And where do they, where's that uh, guy, they land- where does that guy keep the champagne up there? Like, does he, does he have like a bag of holding? <laughs> where's the champagne? It's certainly not, it's certainly not properly chilled. Well, has, it's right underneath the fire that they use to keep the balloon. Well, he has a refrigerated blue apron box that he's got it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, blue apron. Dan, we're not supposed to promote anything else during the Max Fun Podcast. Okay. Anyway, so the, uh, they, and here's the one of these things that I feel like this is the kind of thing that is a it's like an unintentional racism or maybe it's a maybe it's a maybe it's subtext about how white people kind of can go around stomping on everything that the only Indian character 
is Cal Penn's character who be, who is blackmailed into giving up his mother's own dress. Right. The only black character is a one-eyed man whose other eye gets attacked by this by this kind of white floozy's champagne cork hitting him in the face. And then when the hot air balloon lands, it literally crushes the birthday cake of a Latino boy. <laughs> yep. And it's like this like this movie is just kind of like it's this movie could have been called like white people ruining other people's day <laughs> obliviously. Like just, just this just this trail of destruction as they destroy minorities' livelihoods, their health, yeah. their most precious day of the year, their <laughs> yeah. birthday. Uh so the the uh they eventually find uh Kate Upton's suitcase, which is great. It means they can go swimming. She has a bathing suit. Oh, now. we're Kate still Upton, talking about these things. Oh yeah. <laughs> she walks out, she attracts all the jeweler guys. That's not what she wants. Meanwhile, Dodario does that old favorite cuts her own bathing suit up to make it really tiny so that she's showing off more skin. Now, now I'm not a seamstress. Is that possible? I don't know. It is an amazing, like, <laughs> Fredericks of Hollywood uh, suit that she comes yeah, up I with. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I'm like, oh, now there's a reason I have to root for this character because she's exhibiting a skill. I mean, her outfit, <laughs> her, her her dress looks far better than any of Reynolds' Woodcock's uh, outfits in Phantom Thread, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> wow, hot take on Phantom Thread. Hey, I'm just saying the dresses look bad. Um, the <laughs> I did like how the uh, the guys at the jewelers convention were eating in a hot tub. I mean, I think that's always a good look. I think that's a cool way because yep. uh, there's nothing better than being hot and eating hot food at the same time. <laughs> uh, it's called living in the tropics. Okay, that's why they eat spicy food in hot places. But uh, uh, Stuart, to piggyback on you were talking about all the sound effects that were added in to the movie. Uh-huh. This is the part where when when Daddario is walking by in her newly. Uh, shorn bathing suit we do hear like wolf whistles uh-huh. inserted into the background <laughs> and it and that moment made me feel very icky because i was like look guys let me just pull back the veil i'm just a i'm just a guy i'm not above my base animal instincts did i go into this wanting to see alexander daddario with no clothes on yes i did of course ever and so that's <laughs> yeah. so i was like oh okay I want to see her in this skimpy bathing suit. And then I heard that wolf whistle in the background and I was like, oh, I'm a monster. I feel terrible yeah. now. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, it was it's like, like a- when you're talking to your dad about movies and he reveals that a, uh, a much younger actress is attractive. You're like, I can never watch this movie ever again, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that wolf whistle was the film indicting you, Elliot. Maybe it was like funny games. Yeah, it's like funny games. That's It felt like it. Yeah, or like what Sucker Punch tried so hard to do and failed to do, the layover did within that one moment <laughs> yeah. where it was like, oh, you like this? Well, you're an asshole for liking it. Oh, man, you're right, the layover. <laughs> really rough. Anyway, So we get a uh, competitive they, diving in, sequence. Yeah. <laughs> that turns into them performing the sexiest of sports, diving. Yeah. And uh, and Kate Upton accidentally hits her face on the pool, which is terrible. Um, anyway, they ha- there's another scene <laughs> with Molly Shannon because I guess they hired her for two scenes uh-huh. where she reveals that she's actually there with – she's the mistress of the guy she's with. And she says, you got to go for what you want. Uh, and they find out that uh, the hunky guy is going to leave and drive to Fort Lauderdale with the jeweler played by – what's his name? Um, I think it's you Matt Jones. Matt Jones. Badger from uh, uh, <laughs> from uh, from Breaking Bad. And uh, the girls decide to go along too. They have a road trip, and it is so boring. Yeah, it is. There's like no jokes. It's just them singing along to music on the radio. They're playing different road game, like road word games. Yeah, this, there's burping. This movie is uh, ninety minutes long, and it is not tight. 
There are scenes that are clearly just in there to pad out the time, like <laughs> as if this was a television show and they added like, uh, you know, like a car chase or something because they're like, I don't know what else to do. This thing's got to be an hour long. <laughs> well, it's like uh, this is they, when- it, they want to give a bunch of filler so that when the jokes do hit, oh, you're okay. ready for them. You know, they oh, really you're like, oh, man, I've been dying for some laughs. Yeah. It's just like the uh, the uh, the Night Watchman scene in Macbeth, uh-huh. where you're like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, after all that tension when he's murdering King Duncan, I need a I need some larps." <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah, they, uh, it's the Shakespearean model, the layover. Yeah, the layover is just like Macbeth, says Elliot <laughs> Kalin. Uh, so this is when both characters go to a place that makes it hard for me to uh, to ever be sympathetic to them ever again. Uh-huh. Where. Dario shows everyone a childhood photo of Kate Upton's character wearing a helmet she needed to fix a malformed skull (laughs) that everyone made fun of when she was a kid. And it's like, at this point, and then Kate Upton responds by, by by a Lock by blocking the door of a gas station bathroom that Dario so let's was unpack in, trapping her there. I assume to start. <laughs> let's let's unpack this first part. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I've ever been shown a picture of a person when they're younger and been like, "Oh, I think much less of you now because that's what you look like <laughs> yeah. as a child." Yeah, especially when it's a it's like a it's a physical defect that was fixed. It's like. Oh, you were born with a problem and then you solved it. You know what? You're a loser. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me that you're beautiful now. When you were a kid, your skull was was misshapen. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I can never date you. I'm going to go with your friend. Yeah. So that that was crazy. But then let's talk about this bathroom. <laughs> First off, there's a big W written on it, which I'm assuming stands for women's or maybe water closet. But I'm assuming it stands for women's. <laughs> yeah. Of course, an old home, a, uh, I'm assuming homeless man. I don't want to like sh- shame him based on his outfit, but that's what kind of how them. No, for all you know, he's one of those very wealthy people who dresses up like a hobo <laughs> and gets lost for a few weeks and then comes back and puts on an Armani suit yeah. like at the beginning of the first issue of Wildcats. Yeah, he's uh, he's a uh, walking phoenix. So uh, <laughs> she goes, she a walking phoenix, <laughs> like a phoenix that walks around. Yep. Uh, so she goes into this washroom before being uh, barricaded inside. And this women's room has an out of order urinal. So I'm assuming it became the women's room when the urinal was out of order. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. It used to be unisex and the urinal broke. They went, eh, it's a woman's room now. Uh, and at that point, and then she uses it uh, and then doesn't flush, which is like, now you're just contributing to the problem, lady. Yeah. But finally she gets some comeuppance <laughs> when she ends up stepping in her own filth and other people's filth. Yeah, yeah this is a... And other people's. Of, of course, because this is a comedy... This is a gross bathroom. This is like the train spotting bathroom, basically. But because that is never funny, I did not laugh. <laughs> like, I do not like the idea you out when you someone, go into a gross bathroom. Yeah, I don't like the idea of someone wallowing in filth. <laughs> You're like, that's how people get sick. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can get sick yeah, from that. It's literally what killed most people for centuries yeah. <laughs> was that kind of illness. But what are you going to do? Uh, it's hilarious. I, I mean, I did think it was kind of funny when she uh, wrapped her arms and legs in toilet paper <laughs> to create some kind of a buffer, which, of course, doesn't work. She breaks the sink, and then she escapes. And I don't think she tells anyone she broke the sink. Like, at that point, they're just breaking <laughs> shit. But I will. I do have to give Alexander Daddario credit at this point, because she, 
her look of like rage and anger is really awesome. Like she plays super crazy angry really well. I think she was probably tapping into the real emotions she was feeling of, about having to perform that scene and be in this movie. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Where she was just like, I'm going to let all my all my anger at William H. Macy for commissioning this screenplay off of an original idea <laughs> I assume he had. And and then casting me in it using some sort of blackmail that he held over me. That I'm going to use that right now. And then director William H. Macy was like, good work, good work. That was great. Anyway... Uh, I gotta go, I gotta go uh, shoot another episode of Shameless. So uh, just do whatever in front of the cameras and we'll figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, just throw more poop on her. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, she does this whole scene and I have to, it's like, uh, and then he, I, I imagine she does this long scene and it's like a tour de force and she's screaming. It's like Isabella Johnny in the subway tunnels in, uh, in possession, in, uh, possession where she's just vomiting white liquid and rolling around on the wet floors. And she does that. And then Billy Mitch Macy, he goes, cut. And then he just stands there for a moment and he goes, needs more poop. <laughs> <laughs> and she has to do it again. What a what a sadist. Anyway, they leave. Uh, she uh, She's screaming around. She screams and hoses herself off. They get back in the car. Uh, the guy gives Dario a massage and she makes over-the-top satisfaction mm-hmm. sounds. I'll have what she's uh, having, et cetera. Kate, Kate Upton, in an attempt to, as a friend would when in a romantic competition, in an attempt to drug her best friend with champagne with pills in it, she accidentally drugs the driver of the car, Badger, and he goes off the... They all fall asleep, love, he goes off the road and breaks the, the headlights. There's, there's a better way to do this scene, but I love that after... Uh, there's a better way to do every scene in the movie! <laughs> I mean, I was hoping, because they, they, you know, they cut to people in the car, and they cut to him, like, getting drowsy behind the wheel, and I was really hoping it was going to cut over to her in the passenger side seat, like, looking terrified, but not wanting to say anything. But instead, <laughs> she did the more terrible thing, which is, just go to sleep. Like, who would do that? Yeah. At that point, she's <laughs> like, well, I'm going to usher myself off to dreamland. I will probably not be able to wake up, because I'll have... <laughs> I'll be crossing she's the river like, sticks. <laughs> she's like, you know what? I've accomplished everything I meant to in my life on this trip. And so now I leave myself in the arms of Morpheus <laughs> to ferry me off to Charon and then Charon to take me to the Elysian fields. Because at this point, she's like, uh, it's like, um, uh, what's a movie where someone gracefully commits suicide having finished their work on Earth? Is there one? Uh, Alien 3. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, she's just like sigourney weaver hurling herself into the pit of fire (laughs) uh anyway (laughs) um they go back to it they stop at a different hotel for the night because they can't get a car it's too late uh kate upton has a drink with badger while finally has sex with william a chunky and they're they talk to the manager of the hotel and he after they had all passed out in in the car and they talk to the manager of the hotel and he's like oh yeah and there's a restaurant next door it doesn't it closes at 10 and at that point i'm like wait a minute what fucking time do they fall asleep <laughs> if they still have time to get dinner <laughs> it is before 10 yeah <laughs> i mean it's on a long car ride you get drowsy uh, i understand okay, that i'm a, you know what there's something about the motion of the car the vibration of the seat underneath you and the warmth when you're inside a car for a long time mm-hmm. that takes us back to the womb <laughs> and so in that moment we're we've reached that utter pit place of comfort where we cannot stay awake because we're like okay i'm back in the in the amniotic fluid this is the safest and most complete i've ever been in my life before i was born I'm going to catch some Z's. Elliot. See you later. By the way, I, dr- I drugged your champagne. Elliot, I'd prefer you not uh, do practice pitches for car commercials on our <laughs> podcast. 
there's now I'd like to do now I'd like to do a car commercial where there's a car that's kind of that's driving a little erratically <laughs> and you go inside and everyone in it is asleep but like really comfort comfortably and it's like yeah it's that comfortable <laughs> the new Chevy the, the new town and country <laughs> like or something uh now the sex scene though that happens between Dodario and William H Hunky I gotta say like. Yeah. Other than the fact that Daddario keeps all of her clothes on, uh-huh. I was sort of shocked by how not explicit the sex scene was, but like it, you know, it went on for a while and they like ran through like all of the positions, basically all the jokes that they could do up. during this sex scene. <laughs> I mean, and they're also it's a very vigorous sex. Yeah, scene. I mean, it has none of the it has none of the graceful languor of say a Cinemax soft core sex no. scene. Which usually has a lot more light touching and rose. It was, it was a little off putting because it it began like the first moment that we realize that this guy's into her, he grabs her boob, which is a little fucked up. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah, that was his opening gambit. Was a boob grab, and then he says something like, "I'm gonna put my mouth on your mouth now, or something, or I'm gonna kiss you on but the like, mouth now." But like, he's already he's already not asking consent, man. Fuck that. But uh, the uh, yeah, the sex scene. Now I was watch as I said, watching this on a plane. Uh, I, I did not feel uncomfortable watching this on the plane. It was not that explicit. My wife felt much worse while she was watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall and was uh, reminded uh, by the amount of pieces <laughs> yeah. she saw in the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they, they did their best to play it for goofs. Uh, we, get, uh, we get to see shots of this guy's totally jacked bod. That's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Finally see what all that firefighting has been doing for uh-huh. him. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the so they have, she has she has sex with him, and it's like uh, the old Hallelujah chorus comes in. Call what's his name who does that song? Who's the guy? Leonard Cohen, who's the musician who does that song. Yeah, call Leonard Cohen because it's Hallelujah time. Was like, someone had sex, and it changed handle? their life. <laughs> Are you talking about <laughs> handle? <laughs> get handle on the phone. <laughs> uh, Dan, get used to it. That's not the hallelujah anyone thinks about anymore. Only the Leonard Cohen one. I I like to believe Leonard Cohen, when he saw the song Hallelujah, when he finished writing it, he went, fuck you, Handel. (laughs) (laughs) There's a new hallelujah in I will say, I think Watchmen would have been a thousand times better if they used Handel's version. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just the hallelujah chorus over it. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point, at least it would have been like an over-the-top joke, which would have been Uh funny, but... Was there ever a time when the Hallelujah Chorus was not used ironically? When it was like, people heard it, they were like, oh yeah, this is an ecstatic, a shout of joy to God. Well, I mean, certainly not, every- in, not in a movie. I mean, I've I've witnessed <laughs> I've witnessed the Hallelujah Chorus. I mean, I've witnessed uh, the whole, what's what's it called? The the whole thing? I can't remember. Christmas no. later mouse. Oh boy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Baby's Day Out? <laughs> yeah, I've witnessed the whole Baby's Day Out. <laughs> And it, you know it's a uh, you know you know on its own it's still a spiritual kind of experience. You're saying that it's it's more powerful when seen in say either a church or an orchestral setting. Handles than on Messiah. A Handles Messiah. That was what I was trying to think of. Yeah. Sorry. Handles Messiah. Oh, that's right. It's called the Messiah. That's right. Uh. Anyway, that opens up a whole other can of worms. But anyway, we don't need to talk about messiahs. But uh, <laughs> the they find out. Okay. Although- so the next morning. William H. Hunky does have Christ-like <laughs> qualities. <laughs> In that he has a beard and long hair, and women go gaga for him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wish, now I kind of wish he'd been like, well, I'm a carpenter. And then they just kind of started slowly layering in these different Jesus things about him. I mean, that's basically <laughs> like, the bit from uh, he's, the 10, He's at the right? bar. 
the that's what? basically that bit from the movie The Ten with Justin Thoreau where he plays Jesus. Oh, I've never actually seen The Ten. That's the one where it's each of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, right? yeah. it's uh, yeah, let's say it. uneven. Okay, okay, we let's, can say that. Let's say that some of it's good. Anyway, the next morning, Alexander Dario's in a great. She's feeling great. It's just like the scene in Thelma Louise, which I recommended in a previous episode, where Gina Davis has had, just had sex with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. But also like that scene, she finds out that Hunky has escaped mm-hmm. after the sexual act. Mm-hmm. Uh, only he didn't steal her money, as Gina Davis's money was stolen. He's stolen Badger's car. But he did leave a note. Uh, they, uh, Upton mentions that uh, that guy was just a, he was just some dumb guy with great eyes and a bent penis. And she goes, how did you know he had a bent penis? Uh-oh, looks like they both slept a big with reveal. And he took, Yeah. Big reveal. And they, he also took Badger's car. Uh, Alexander Dario Speaking of big reveals, guys, a, okay. I was surprised at how large the uh, Continental Breakfast Buffet was in this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> It's not even the Sheridan, and it's a huge breakfast buffet, and yet they destroy it. And this is the one scene in the movie I kind of liked, where the two women are just wrecking this breakfast, but they're just wrecking a hotel lobby, fighting with each other, mm-hmm. and it ends with a bookcase falling on them. And I was like, you know what? This is getting like kind of Three Stooges-y in a way that's not not hellish, the way the rest of the movie has well, been. Well, I mean, like the way this movie could have worked is to actually... Like the fact that they're unlikable, if they like really pumped up the unlikability to absurd yes. levels, like dirty rotten scoundrels. Uh, yeah, I mean, like kind of. I mean, if it's a competition, except they're, ch- except they're, char- they're charming in dirty rotten yeah. scoundrels. Like you mean in more of a like, uh, uh, well, I'm having trouble in more of a Larry David's sour grapes type of way. Is that what you're saying, Dan? That movie you like, love, <laughs> grapes, directed by Larry David, like more of a this means war sort of thing. <laughs> no, not those examples. <laughs> Like more of a War of the Roses type of movie. Uh, yeah, actually, Kramer War of versus Roses Kramer could <laughs> more of a more of Kramer versus yeah. Kramer type comedy. Yeah, Stewart has a good point. Yeah, no, but a movie where the characters are hateful, but you're not supposed to. Exactly. Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that the the difference I have. So I don't, I'm not a huge fan of comedies where the where the hero is an asshole. I do love Steve Coogan's Alan Partridge character, who is an asshole, and I think the difference is that. You are never asked to like Alan Partridge. You feel pity for him at times because his life is so empty. Yeah. But you're never supposed to like him as a person. And so it's like it's a, a bad person is funny if you're not supposed to like them. But if you're supposed to like them and they're bad, then you're like, no, this is terrible. This is not fun. Yeah. That was one of the disconnects I had between the uh, the original British office and initially starting to watch the American version of the office because I feel like – uh, David Brent is so unlikable. I don't. I think you never are supposed to like him. At best, feel pity for him and sympathize with him. And yes. Steve Carell's character, I don't think ever is. I don't think they ever want you to like think he's that terrible. But he is also pretty terrible. No, he. I mean, he's. Te- that's why it. Te- that's why when they gained their footing, it was making him a character who is bumbling more than he is, nasty. like petty. Yeah, that like. Yeah, David Brent's character is petty and narcissistic, and they had to remove that stuff from Michael Scott to, so that, oh, he's just, like, incompetent, and he wants to be loved so much that he he goes overboard. Whereas David Brent is, like, he's petty, he's egotistical, very shamelessly overt with his atheism in a way that <laughs> even turns off liberals. Sure, yeah. And his stand-up isn't that very good for some reason. I have to say, I went to, I saw him live years yeah. ago, and he was so funny. Really? And he like I think he just it's not his stuff 
like he just doesn't have he seems to have run out of juice you know i don't know what it right. is but i remember seeing him i saw him live years ago when he was pre- preparing for i think his first big stand-up special mm-hmm. and I, and it was just like a lot of fun to like hear him talk about stuff but it was a very loose show yeah you know i mean and stand-up works better live than it does recorded pretty much always i i disagree really? i prefer to watch it I hate to see stand up live. I only like to see stand up through like a cheesecloth screen, <laughs> and I want it to be on a phone that's fifty feet away from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want lots of barriers between me and it. Anyway, back to the movie. They wreck the lobby, and then they find out that wedding that hunky guy had to go to was his wedding. Oh, sideways, <laughs> guys! We've got a sideways on our hands. Oh man, break out the what Merlot? What yeah. the fuck are you drinking that shit? <laughs> <laughs> Janine from Ghostbusters hits the button. <laughs> oh, man. He goes, we got one. Yeah. Real bad problem with the real main logo ghost. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> cleaning up the town, they decide they're going to have to go cleaning up the town. They and Badger are going to drive all the, no, they uh, they leave Badger behind. They take a taxi cab, which is going to be, again, hella expensive to take this taxi yeah. cab. So they, and they, and they, and they, uh, they, they're able to talk their way free of the charges of destroying this hotel because they play on the uh, the hotel proprietor's love of revenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... They they're gonna go to this wedding and they're gonna bust it up by revealing that he's a he's a liar and a and a unfaithful cheat. And they get there and they first break into the wrong wedding. Uh in a bit that could have been kind of a funny joke, but all I kept thinking about was that poor groom who has to explain that he's never seen these women I before mean, in his life. Yeah. And now his I bride feel like it. if his bride is going to do that, it's gonna call things off right away. She's already gotta have suspicions. Like that is that relationship's That's on true. shaky okay. grounds. <laughs> Good point. It is what there is a a thing that happens in movies and on TV where it's like, I love you. We've been in a relationship for a long time, but this stranger just told me something that doesn't square with your personality, and now I hate you. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what? Hold on. Like if if a random woman that my wife had never met before walked up to her and was like, I had an affair with your husband. I think at first she would be like, that doesn't sound like Elliot, and she would ask me about it. Yeah. Because yeah, it's not like it seem within my if, you're, if your wife walked into the room and somebody was like bending over, like adjusting their shoe strap, but it was behind like a counter. She wouldn't be like, oh, my God, Elliot's <laughs> getting a blowjob from this person. <laughs> well, now you're just indicted noises off and I cannot have that, Stuart. Uh, or if I was giving CPR to a woman who has clearly passed out, she wouldn't assume that I was making out with her. Because when you're making out with someone, they lie prone on their back with their <laughs> yeah, arms and out. pump their chest. Not responding in any way, and you pump their well, chest. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. When you initially showed uh, your interest in that person romantically, they did a Bazooka Joe backflip and landed on their back. <laughs> uh, so, and, of course... Whereas I could say, no, honey, she choked. I'm giving her CPR. Instead, I will say something like, oh, we were rehearsing for a play because I have to come up with some kind of crazy excuse. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, they go to the wedding and they're too late to stop it. It already went through. But they find out because God loves dramatic justice and dramatic irony that uh, the hunky guy has is now married to a total shrew. She is real bossy <sighs> and like super demanding. So that's And he's like. So that's the thing. He's it's like, like, I've been with her since. I've been with her since I was a kid, and I've never had women like you. This was a guy's dream come true. Come on, you gotta let me have it. And they're like, you know what? He's got a worse punishment in store for him: marriage. And they walk out, you know, snapping their fingers. The, so they 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 meet his bride for a moment on one of the most stressful days of her life. 
Um, because clearly her husband is a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. And they think, oh, wow, she's super controlling and shitty because she she has to probably do everything. Also, that she was this guy was away from his fiance days before their wedding for he was away from her for two days. And he took that opportunity to have sex with two different women. It's like, oh, this guy maybe is not such a great guy. And he, he might be a piece he of He almost didn't make it to the wedding. Like, I don't know. I feel like them. It's just I mean, it raises the question for me. Where was he? Why was he if it's like three days before his own wedding? Why is he half a country away from his fiance? He was, do- like, he was doing on? what what everybody does right before their wedding. You know, you want to live one last time, so you go to visit all the se- all the sites in Seattle that remind you of the show Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say earlier that my only I've never been to Seattle, so my only thing to judge it by is Frasier. And so I, when I saw their apartment, I was like, "That's bigger than Frasier's apartment," <laughs> and he's a famous radio personality. <laughs> Uh, but this uh, movie really so they, ends with a wait. It's not okay. Do, it, go on. It's it's not done yet because first Kate Upton goes to the jeweler's shop and she realizes he's the kind of guy that she wants and she gives him a kiss. Uh, she repeats a speech that he gave to her about pr- precious and semi precious stones uh, <laughs> because everyone's jobs, as with Daddario's teaching, are only useful in that they provide metaphors you can use for your own life. Uh, and then at the airport, the girls apologize to each other and they say they're both great. They, uh, they say, both of them tell the other how great they are, which we know is not true because they're both jerks. They're total assholes. Uh, so Dan, Dan, if you were, if you were to, if you were to use your job as a way to, uh, come up with a, like a love or life metaphor, Uh what would you say? Uh, I would say something about, um, how everything that you love can become a source of bitterness in your life. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. <laughs> wow, that would play real well. I mean, I was expecting I mean, something really like... related to the, the material. Yeah, like, yeah. In, yes, like in my case, I'd be like, you know, as a bartender, people always come in and they always want to get the fanciest, <coughs> most expensive drinks. Like, uh-huh. if people are drinking tequila, they always go for Patron because it's, it's flashy and expensive. But it's actually not that good a tequila, and there's much better, less expensive tequilas <laughs> you could buy. <laughs> I'm the less expensive tequila in this metaphor. Oh, I see. And he- here's the way I would do it. I would I would say, hey, I'm a writer. Uh-huh. And you know, when you write that first draft, you're like, yeah, this is it. Every This is how it works. This is the best. And you go back and you reread it and you're like, oh, you know what? This isn't as good as I remember it. Maybe I need a second draft. I'm that second draft. <laughs> and maybe William H. Hunky was the first draft you thought was going to be perfect, but it's time for the second draft of your life. Me, the writer who also owns a jewelry store, and uh, now I'm going to be your faraway boyfriend. Because here's how the movie ends. Uh, Dario goes back to work. Now she's confident. Uh, She's impressed when Demarius shows up. The hero of the film (laughs) returns. And for his report on Lord of the Flies, he's done his own manga adaptation of Lord of the Flies, which... Unless the assignment was restate the plot of Lord of the Flies, then he has not accomplished the assignment. But she acts. I love like it, and I love it she, when American the, artists just rip off uh, eight, like manga styles. Like, what does he think he is, like Joe Materia or something? Like, uh, fuck this. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but uh, that's so. Not only is it an act of cultural appropriation, let's set that aside, Demarius. But uh, that he's. It's like. Hey, I did a manga adaptation, and she acts... I haven't seen her this excited about anything since William H. Hunky first sat down on the plane. She loves it. And she threatens 
the principal Rob Corddry somehow in a into, non-specific way into keeping like her Rob Corddry says like that sounds like a threat and I'm like she didn't say anything that sounds like a threat I have no idea <laughs> how she's like getting her job uh, security like nothing she says like her 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 confidence like it would have made sense if she just came in and was like you know what I'm not gonna leave like if you want me to leave you got to fire me but I'm staying on like that would have made a little sense but. Otherwise, I don't know what's going on in this scene at all. It feels like they literally cut out a paragraph in the script that would have like explained everything. And they're like, well, this movie's almost 90 minutes. It's two, it's 91 minutes. We got to keep it to a tight 90 minutes. And like, and I mean, I if you're, if you're going to bring Damn in it. my boy Demarius, yeah. then you, you should have had her seem like downcast or dejected before he shows up. Mm-hmm. But like, she seems fine. Yeah, and then she sees the light of her life, Demarius, the one <laughs> student that she has reached. Oh yeah. Uh, now, Dan, uh, that makes sense. What you're saying makes sense. That the movie, like, it was, ma- it just, it doesn't make any sense what happened. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. But just uh, one <laughs> okay. more question, Dan. Uh, uh, I seem to believe that uh, your favorite movie is called Stop Making Sense. <laughs> so, uh, excuse me if I'm just a little confused here, but it seems like. Uh, you used to like it when things stopped making sense, and now that this movie has stopped making sense, suddenly you don't like it. So maybe I'm wrong. Just if you could explain that to me. I just have that one question. Oh, I would, Inspector, but uh, I've got a very important charity fundraiser that I must go to. I've, I'm the uh, keynote speaker, of course, tonight. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, Mrs. Colombo, she's making uh, Parmesan, chicken Parmesan, too, for <laughs> dinner, so I should get back to that. Uh, just one more question. Didn't you kill that guy? Uh, yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Take him away, boys. He fell into my intricate trap. There's a there's a bit more Stallone in that Columbo than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, a little more. Well that was well that was Sylvester Stallone in Columbo the movie. <laughs> yeah, you gotta make it bigger for the oh, screen. Oh no, well, well that, that that makes sense. That makes sense. So just one more thing. That's how we would do it. <laughs> Interesting cast. Just uh, one more question. One more question, Sarge. Do we get to win this time? <laughs> I actually, I would see that movie in a heartbeat. Columbo, the movie starring Sylvester Stallone. And here's the thing I would say. Movie makers, don't make it an action movie. When you've cast Sylvester Stallone, you're going to be like, oh, there should be like a car crash or a gunfight or something. No, no, no. You just take a reg- you take an actual episode of Columbo, extend it to two-hour length with extra scenes, cast Sylvester Stallone in it. And you know what? Use digital technology to insert him Forrest Gump style into the original episode. I think that's great. That I would see in an instant. I would pay forty dollars. Now, ticket would that, for that be called Stallonebo or Calambo? <laughs> <laughs> it would be called. It would be called Carambo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, and so we get to the. That's Alexander Daddario's epilogue. Is she's confident she keeps her job. Kate Upton is studying for I guess a business degree, and she's telecommuting, dating the jeweler guy. She's going to see him in a couple days. And the two friends go back to watching The Bachelor together. The end of the layover. Yeah, I gotta say, Elliot. Now, this is a line I think that uh, I think that you have used before, and I stole from you. But I texted you to say that this is the least amount of movie that something can be that is legally a movie, <laughs> because I don't remember saying that, but it sure sounds like me. But I probably stole it from Mystery Science Theater. At some I point. mean, so like so little happens. It's just a fight between two women over this guy. And then at the end of the movie, uh, when they could break up the wedding, they just kind of say, like, oh, fuck it. Like, (laughs) we've traveled all the way here uh, via the world's most expensive taxi cab. And they're like, (laughs) you know what? Uh, I don't have the energy. 
I mean, I guess we learned a lesson. I mean, the movie you, ends. they go from Seattle to St. Louis to Fort Lickerdale yeah. back to Seattle. I mean, what more can you ask? <laughs> what more do you want in a movie? Dan, there are James Bond movies where he travels less than they do in this <laughs> movie. And yet, you're right. So it feels like they shot the outline of a movie yeah. where they're like, the screenwriter was like, I'll fill in all this stuff later. And William H. Macy was like, no, no, it's good. We'll do it right now. Yeah. And then the writer was like, no. Or more accurately, the writer was like, yes, and take my name off the finished film. <laughs> yeah, this, Pay me, though. This is a thing. I mean, Elliot uh, knows uh, that when we worked at The Daily Show, often if we didn't have time, like we work under very tight deadlines, and often we didn't have time with the first draft to put in a joke for something. And so we just put joke TK, and it feels like the whole screenplay was just joke TK, joke TK, <laughs> joke TK, and they never went back yeah. and filled anything in. I wonder if they were like, they're like, we're going to hire the best improvisers, and they're going <laughs> to do this movie. We couldn't get the best improvisers. We got Alexander Daddario and Kate Upton and this other guy who looks kind of like Jesus, hunky, William H. Macy type. All right, well, I'm not going to write anything for them, so let's just try it. Like, if you And you think me, they were like, listen, like William, uh, I know you keep offering to play the role, but we hired an actor to play the hunky guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, we cast a man who's more age-appropriate for these two for these two actresses. And uh, he's like, Woody Allen gets to do it. Why don't I? Blah, blah, blah. But the, uh, it's like, it does feel like they, like, if you told me this whole movie was improvised, I'd be like, oh, okay, it's not very good, but I could see that. Like, there's no jokes. There's not good. There's no memorable lines mm-hmm. in it. And but if scenes like, kind this of, movie was written, some scenes just like peter off. Like, they don't really have yeah. an ending. Yeah. Let's speed through our final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie we kind of liked. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that I think it was a bad, bad movie. Uh, there's a certain lightness to it. I mean, like, it it, it disappears. From, yeah, because there's nothing Yeah, there. it disappears from your brain as you watch it. And so I didn't hate it the way I hate some movies. Although, but, from the way you talked about it, it sounds like you kind of white-knuckled it the whole time because you're like, why do they keep spending <laughs> money they don't have? That's true. There, there were several sources. <laughs> why are they getting to the airport yeah. on time? <laughs> yeah, they broke up that other person's wedding. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, there are a lot of things. But it is this is like it's like the movie equivalent of when someone who is not a good bartender pours you a beer and it's nothing but foam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're like, oh, OK, I had to dig through like three inches of foam to get to like just a tiny bit of beer. That's this movie, except there's no beer at the bottom and you're in an alleyway and a hobo is throwing peanut <laughs> shells. At oh, you. OK. Uh, that common thing. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> we've all yeah, been we there. Relate to that. Uh, yeah, this is a bad, bad movie. All right. Yeah, bad, bad. So we should move on to our uh, second pledge break. I mean, the first one wasn't really like a big pledge break. It was just kind of a informational. Dan, 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 don't eat it. Just sit, just get to the <laughs> pledge break. We don't. We'll do the self evaluations afterwards. <laughs> okay. Uh, so listen, uh, as we said before, the podcasts on the Max Fun Network are listener supported, and uh, I don't know. We went over this last week, so I don't know how much. <laughs> We need to okay. repitch. Well, but... one, Dan, that it was last week for us, but it'll be two weeks in between okay, for the true. listener. So let's get that straight, too. How about, let me, let me, so let me just we say. Only do to, the, to we only do this people. once a year. So we, we might as well do it. Yeah. It's possible that people don't remember that if you go to MaximumFun.org slash donate, you can choose a monthly pledge amount to donate. 
you'll automatically donate the same amount per month from your credit card or whoever or bank account or whatever you have set up for. You don't once you set it up once, you don't have to worry about setting it up again. It's that good. And you can choose the shows that you want the money to go to. So you don't have to worry, oh, is this just gonna go to some faceless maximum fun overlord who takes all the money? Well, his name is Jesse Thorne. He has a face, but it's hidden under a very big beard. So I understand why you think he's faceless. Yeah. But and he's a nice guy, but he doesn't take all the money. The money goes the vast majority of it to the shows. And it's super helpful to us. We talked in the last episode about how this money has really helped us to carve out extra time for the flop house and really keep it going that for some of us who don't have the most regular income at the moment, it's a real boon uh, and super helpful. Uh, and, but you don't just get the glowy feeling of contributing to making the lives of artists whose work you like better, although you will do that. And every time you listen to a Flophouse episode, you'll be like, I contributed a little bit to that. Like, I feel good now. Uh, I, I, I should have no guilt over this. Uh, you'll have guilt over other things because we're all sinners, all of us, and it's a fallen world that we <laughs> yeah. live in. But that's besides the point. Assuage some of that guilt by donating to Maximum Fun. Now, there are things that you get. What I was going to say is you don't just get that fuzzy feeling. You also get gifts, exclusive stuff that you only get for donating at different yeah. amounts. Dan, if you're, if you're you a like first time yeah. donor or an upgrading donor, yes, you get access to some thank you gifts. Even if you're already a donor, you can upgrade your amount to a little bit more per month. You'll never even notice it. Come on. Have one less big, fl- big pretzel <laughs> yeah. or something like that. We've been meaning to talk to you about your pretzel, many, big like pretzel habit. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. You've been having too many of those big pretzels. They're not that good for you. I don't you. like the way every every weekend you're going out to the airport to, <laughs> and Auntie M's or whatever they're called. <laughs> Auntie Ann's? Auntie Ann's. Okay. Auntie Ann's. Auntie M is from <laughs> The Wizard of Oz. Oh, I don't like uh, how you're making Auntie M from The Wizard of Oz bake you a pretzel every week. <laughs> yeah, it's not, she's already dealing with the fact that her niece, Dorothy, has disappeared, perhaps run away with Professor Marvel, the noted super, kill, super serial killer and carnival do you freak. Think, uh, do you think Peter Parker ever calls Aunt May Auntie M because M is short for May? Oh. I think he probably did at some point, maybe. So, Well, somebody write in and tell us that. So, going uh, back to the... But, uh, yeah, so anyway, big pretzels. Stop going to Yankee Stadium just to get those big pretzels. Dan, tell them what they can, can get. get uh, so donor gifts. If you donate at the $5 per month level, you get exclusive bonus content. That's uh, There's hours and hours and hours of extra shows from all of the uh, podcasts at Max Fun. The whole network. Yeah, including several hours of Flophouse content uh, that you can't get uh, if you're not a donor. It's behind uh, the donor paywall. And uh, we're in the we're in the middle of producing. Uh, we should have the first one up now already, uh, but we're putting out three two hour ish. I, I can't make that promise, but three episodes that are going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't know right now. We're having some technical difficulties with one of the episodes, but it should be uh, resolved. Um, at the ten dollar per month level, uh, you get an exclusive enamel pin. Designed by Megan Lincott. Now, you may remember that there were uh, enamel pens, I think, two years ago? Or was it last year? Last year. Last year. Uh, year. They were very beloved by listeners. And uh, there's an all-new design featuring, for us, Nicolas Cage. Uh, So you can pick that up for $10 a month. The Ragin' Cage and And the first person who gets one of those uh, pins and then wears it while getting their picture taken with Nicolas Cage will get one high five from me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the listener has to pay to fly Stewart out for the high five, though. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, for that reminds me, do you guys remember? Sorry, this is a stupid tangent. Sure. Do you guys remember when the movie the The Man Who Knew Too Little came out and Bill Murray did a commercial where he said, 
if you see my movie, The Man Who Knew Too Little, and you don't like it, I'll give you a refund. Just tell me in person. And the commercial ended with him getting on a speedboat and driving away, <laughs> with the implication being that you'll never find him. <laughs> and that was that was before Bill Murray started crashing every wedding or bar or whatever. Yeah. And inserting himself into people's lives. Anyway, Dan, so that's $5 a month. Exclusive bonus content. $10 a month, that beautiful Nicolas Cage flophouse pin. Don't tell Nicolas Cage because he has probably legal rights over his likeness. Dan, what do you get at $20? $20 per month, you get the Max Fun Family Cookbook. Now, this is curated for you by all the Max Fun hosts. Well, maybe not all of them. The ones who had enough time to send in information. But uh, it includes a... Me, me. It was me. Yeah. This book contains dozens of recipes from cocktails to desserts and everything in between. Uh, Elliot, you know, contributed a recipe to this. So if you want to hear how Elliot Kalen of the Flophouse eats, then this is your chance. <laughs> Nestle. I mean, they've they've heard about the Popeyes part, but now know what I cook at home. Uh, Dan mentioned that if you want to hear about it, that's incorrect. It's a book. <laughs> so if you want to read about it, <laughs> it's. <laughs> so I just want to make sure people know that it's not a magic book like Penny had in Inspector Gadget, where if you open it up, it's going to tell you out loud what was going on. You will have to read. So uh, if you can't read, please do learn. Literacy is a gift that never stops giving. Uh, as John Adams once said, you're never alone with a poet in your pocket. Uh, Dan, continue. What do you get at $35 At $35 per month, you get a one-liter juice carafe. Now, it's called a juice carafe. You can put whatever liquid you want in there. I'm not going to tell on you. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's got the Max Fun logo on the side. And so for any beverage you want to display. Which is a rocket. It's a cool-looking yeah. logo. Yeah, if you want to display your beverage in style, then uh, get this carafe. Yeah, yeah, and you can tell people it's a rocket from Max Fun logo or that it's the rocket logo from the space line of Legos that came out years ago. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those were great. There are uh, other gifts at even higher levels. We're not really going to get into that right now. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to see the higher level gifts if you are uh, a person of wealth who wants to uh really contribute to the podcast that you love uh but uh yeah those are the great gifts that you can get from donating and here's how you get them go to maximumfund.org slash donate you're going to choose your membership level how much a month you want to do you'll put in your credit card information and then you're a member and then select the shows that you want the money to go to and then that's it that's all you have to do and so here's what i'm going to tell you i think you should do it right now if you're a uh, if you're a current member, go and upgrade right now too. But if you're especially if you're not a member, go do it right now before you forget. If you ha- and you have to do it this weekend when this episode comes out because the drive is ending soon. And th- and thanks so again, guys. Don't put it off. Yeah, thanks again for listening. That's the that's one of the most important things. And thank you, Stuart, for rem- reminding us that. Uh, nope. <laughs> no. We love our listeners. I will. Nope. <laughs> you got Dan and Stuart feel very close to their listeners, and they really love them, and they feel a sense of like belonging and i think the satisfaction more than the satisfaction of material goods dan and stewart from getting the attention of their listeners they get the satisfaction of having been heard and having been listened to and having had reached out and kind of touched and made contact with another human being and being a part of their life even if dan and stewart don't know that person it enriches their lives to know that they have become a part of someone else's life and that's they do this podcast and it really just it helps them. It warms their heart to know that they are making that connection. Me, I'm in it for the bucks. Bring in the money. All right. Making paper. Ten all that years stuff. ago when Dan uh, showed up in your apartment and said, Elliot, I'd like to talk to you about the Flophouse <laughs> Initiative. You were like, only if they pay me well. 
I said, Dan, two words, cha-ching, question mark. <laughs> and he's like, is cha a word? Is that, I don't. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's a sound effect. It's onomatopoeia. Anyway, when can we start getting paid for this? And Dan said, in about eight years. <laughs> and I said, all right, that sounds good. Uh, so anyway, we it's we do want to thank you so much for listening and for listening to this uh, pledge commercial. You can show your appreciation in two ways, by continuing to listen and also by upgrading your membership or becoming a new member. All right. Uh, moving on, let's uh, talk letters. Letters from listeners, listeners like you. Um, so we've got a few great letters here. Uh, the first one. Dan said we had a few great letters, and I can't wait to hear these few great letters, but because he quantified how many great letters there are, it leads me to believe that there's a few not-so-great letters. There's a few great letters and then a whole lot of not-great letters. So I'm saying this to our letter writers out there across the nation. Up your game! Get us some better letters, because we've only got a few great letters, and because everything can be better, except your letters. They're already great. Thanks, everybody. Okay, well, Stuart took that opportunity to go pee, <laughs> so uh, I guess we need to vamp a little bit while he completes his, uh, you know, like the liquid leaves his bladder and goes to its final resting place. Uh, hey, everybody, I'll tell you a story. About a drop of liquid that was inside Stuart. How did it get in there? Your guess is as good as mine. Probably in a beer or a glass of water. Now first that liquid I'm went. I'm glad that you didn't go mouth. with wine, which would have actually been a rhyme. Know that it, <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I don't but it wouldn't have been All true. Right. So the excuse me, you and I you said that while interrupting the probably the one rhyme okay. I'm gonna have in the whole I'm thing. Sorry. It started by going into Stuart's mouth. And then that liquid said, Hey, I think I'll head down south. Down through his throat to his stomach until his intestines became the place that it went and then of course there's the bladder and the kidneys i don't know which order the liquid went through but it checked off all of its <laughs> bucket list stops team, on the, the inside way. of stewart kidneys bladder urethra then out suddenly it was free free of that prison free of that jail called stewart's body the liquid was out and Stuart would shout, hey, I don't have to pee anymore. And the liquid would shout, hey, thanks, I'm on my way. Just close the bathroom door. All right. So that killed a little time. And Stuart's back. Uh, and everybody's worse off for having heard when's it. The, uh, when's the letter song going to start? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, so this, I... It's starting right now. That's right. It's a letter song triple feature. And this is the big one climactic song. A big anthem stadium song that's going to get your blood pumping, get you all jumping onto your feet. Let's jump to the beat of this letter song finale of the letter song triple feature. Three letter songs. All right. Uh, I'm, I want to... Technically, one of those songs was about... Stuart P.A. Okay. And so here's the middle song that I didn't put in. It was a song about Stuart P.A., which is not a letter song. But now we got our second song, but it's the third that you'll hear and the fourth overall. Guess we got a lot of songs today. All right, thanks. Uh, I apologize, guys. I usually... Secret surprise letter song. Now there's a surprise letter song. Sneak attack. Okay. Uh, I apologize. I... See, what I'm doing, Dan, is I'm the Cato to your Inspector Clouseau, okay. and you never know when a song's going to hit. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. It's keeping my instinct sharp. 
mm-hmm. I apologize, guys. I usually send you the questions ahead of time. I forgot to do it this time. Usually is an overstatement. I would say <laughs> 75% of the time. Yeah. So uh, apologies <laughs> to the listeners if we don't come up with great answers because... Unlike um, normally when our oversight. answers are really great. <laughs> yeah. Or really just spot on with citations and things like that. Uh, this one's from Glenn, last name withheld. Danzig. Or Glenda. Who writes, Re- <laughs> recently I was watching Logan, which is a good, great film. It's Toward still the end Glenn of- Danzig, I think. Toward- <laughs> yeah, I think it was Glenn Danzig, you're right. <laughs> Wouldn't you think it'd be better if I was playing the role of Wolverine? Yours in love, Glenn Danzig. Uh, toward the end of the movie, there were a series of scenes where Logan keeps fainting. He must faint about five times in a row. Around the third or fourth time he fainted, I started to wonder how you guys would describe the sequence on an episode. So my question is this. What genuinely great movies do you feel would suit a Flophouse episode? Are there any great movies that when you saw them, you thought that would make a great episode of the Flophouse because they were still a little bit ridiculous? Love your work on my favorite podcast. All the best. Glenn, last name withheld. So... Uh, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back the curtain a little bit on the on the grim secret of movie complaining, which is you can make fun of any movie, what even good ones, because people are jerks and they'll make fun of anything. There's a moment in a uh, the Mystery Science Theater episode overdrawn at the Memory Bank, which is a great episode. Raul Julia is in the movie where a character is watching Casablanca and Tom Servo makes fun of the opening title music of Casablanca, and in that moment it was like a spell was broken over me, and I was like, oh wait a minute. You can make fun of any movie. Oh, okay. And like making fun of movies was never quite as pure to me as in that moment. Yeah, I think that for me, uh, if we weren't going to do a bad movie, it would be a movie that I genuinely loved a lot and had a, I was kind of like a nerd about because I feel like that passion translates you know, like you, you, the things that you love the most are the things that you can find fault with the most, too. So something like a good Star Wars movie, I would have a lot of opinions about. I mean, like Star Wars Minute is based on, yeah, yeah, on yeah. that pretty much. Well, the fact that like that, I mean, Star Wars Minute is a podcast I love and I like the, and those guys are great. And I've enjoyed being on it when we're on it. But there is a part of me that's like. So you're showing your love of these characters in their world by ripping it apart minute by minute and like making fun of it minute by minute. like it's it's weird that we seem to live in a place right now where I guess nerds have always been like this. I, I feel like I have been where it's like you show your appreciation for something by enumerating its faults and talking about why it's not good. Well, which is I mean, I think that's weird. a way of like I feel like the way people interact with media often is like, how can I? interact with this from a distance and think about it in like logical terms as opposed to on a strictly uh, as like as an intellectual, as opposed to on an emotional level. Yeah. Like it's, it's easier to do that than to be like, no, I just love this thing because it makes me happy. I think, I mean, like I, I, I think that there's a way of doing it. That's not mean spirited to, uh, to like come like to with a laugh acknowledge that something doesn't make sense in a movie that you like, you know, like I don't remember whether we were talking about it before we started recording or it was during the thing, but I'm rewatching all of the Marvel movies as is Stuart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and, already talked about it. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. They heard about it. It just like at the beginning of Avengers or like, like the middle of Avengers, whenever, like when Thor shows up, it's like, 
hold on, you destroyed the Bifrost in the other movie, and uh-huh. there was a big deal about how you couldn't get back to Earth to see Natalie Portman, and this was like this huge Seems sacrifice. like a crazy choice in the long run. Yeah, and then like Thor just comes back to Earth, and it's never quite explained why. And like decisions like that, I think, are kind of fun to just, you know, it's like it's the same kind of like joy that you get like chatting about a movie with your friends. Like, you know, you can love a thing while coming up with like the inconsistencies and stuff. That's very true. So I think what I would say is A League of Their Own. Okay. (laughs) And I would. Which is a movie that I think is a it's a very good movie and I'll watch it anytime it's on. But there's a lot of things in it that are kind of goofy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, a movie that I think is actually great, uh, like Prometheus, would be super fun to talk about on the podcast. Because there's a ton of dumb shit, but that doesn't make it any less, uh, I don't think it makes it any less good of a movie. Yeah. All right. Um, So, moving on. This one is from Natalie, last name withheld, who writes... Portman. (laughs) Wow. What a coincidence. Star of Annihilation, Mm. the movie I just saw (laughs) yesterday? Um, This... One says, at the time of me writing this, Quad Cinema is doing a retrospective of Al Pacino films. I saw Dick Tracy last Sunday and hope to see a few more films throughout the series. It ends on March 30th, so it's probably over by the time you read this letter. Anyway, there's one glaring omission from the series, in my opinion. Jack and Jill. I have to say, Jack and Jill (laughs) was a movie I kind of (laughs) liked. I have fond memories of watching Jack and Jill on TV with my mom one Sunday. It was probably the hardest we laughed while watching a movie together. I can't believe fucking Armin White wrote a fucking letter to us. <laughs> anyway, Toy Story is terrible. Love Armin White. Uh, anyway, Al Pacino plays himself, and he's really going for it, despite it being an Adam Sandler movie. It's a cash grab performance, but boy, does he grab it. It's one of his hoo-ha performances, obviously. Should really bold out-there performances in bad movies be included in film retrospectives? I think, why not? It would definitely spice things up a bit. What not-so-prestigious, dare I say, bad movie would you include in a similar venerable film actor's retrospective? Or film director, if you can't think of an actor? Thanks for the show. Okay, bye! Natalie, last name with Hal. Natalie, I'm going to disagree a little bit and say that I think Al Pacino did not see Jack and Jill as a cash grab and instead was probably excited to do a comedy and to be able to play himself as a crazy person, since he doesn't really get to do that. That I mean, since, like, what's the last Al Pacino comedy I can, we can think of? Like, Scent of a Woman, maybe? Have there been any between that and Jack and Jill? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> and I assume what he's doing as a cash grab is his contract with HBO, where seemingly he has to play every monster in recent American history, because he's yeah, got Paterno coming yeah. out. He did Phil Spector. He did Kevorkian. Yeah. Uh, man, in that Pacino retrospective, I, I'd really like to watch Any Given Sunday again. Because he's just fucking nuts <laughs> in that thing. <laughs> uh, I think it. I think it's... If there's something that's different about the role that they're doing, I think it is worth putting something bad in that they're... That it shows a different side of their performing. Like, if it's a retrospective of of actors that are known for drama you could throw that their one comedy yeah, in, or if it's like i'd I, the one of the ones that comes to mind is uh striptease is not a good movie but i think burt reynolds is pretty fun in it like he's a pretty fun gross yeah. creep yeah that's a good pick um i'm having trouble th- a burt reynolds rich a burt reynolds retrospective would be kind of it'd be, that could be kind of fun because you'd have like you'd have like uh like striptease boogie nights and then like 
stroker ace yeah. or like hooper or like one of the like just to show Stick. his career went in such yeah like like or sharky's machine like that his career went in like a bunch of different directions i and i'm know? i'm pretty excited about his new uh his new movie that's coming out directed by adam rifkin of invisible maniac fame uh. <laughs> oh i don't know this yeah, movie yeah. It's called the Invisible. It's Reynolds. called. Uh, it's called the Last Movie Star, where he plays an aging movie star, not unlike himself. Huh. Oh. It's been getting good reviews. Uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of a good movie with an extravagant performance that I would like to. Or, I'm sorry, a bad movie with an extravagant performance that's good uh, that I want to see in a retrospective. Uh, although I know that there are some. What keeps coming to mind, even though it's not appropriate for this question, is it. For the inevitable Chris Klein retrospective, I would like to see him in uh, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, because uh, his performance in that is so extravagant and crazy. Yeah, he's great in that. <laughs> like, people just need to watch that movie just for Chris Klein. He's I amazing. mean, like, I feel like Rucker Hauer has, I mean, once again, yeah, yeah. he's he's put in a bunch of weird performances uh, intermingled with uh, total cash grab performances. You could have a really interesting Udo Kier retrospective where it's like just any like and all sorts of weird movies that he was in, but also like some of the bigger name movies. he was. Yeah, in. that would be great. If we're just playing the numbers, like just based on how much work he does. I bet Eric Roberts has a great performance in a shitty film somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. I mean, most of what we've watched have been bad performances in shitty movies. Yeah, I know. But, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Actually, that's you know what? If there is an Udo Kier retrospective. I would make sure to ha- that I am curating for some reason. I would make sure to put in the Forbidden Room, which has he's just in it in the part where there's a spark song about a man who is so obsessed with butts that he has to keep going to a surgeon to remove parts of his brain to try to remove this obsession. And Udo Kier is that guy, and it's a, it's a very weird. He has no lines of dialogue in it, but it's a very weird pantomime performance. Hmm. Would you include uh, in a great movie though? That's a. Would great you include movie. End of Days, the movie where he gets cuckolded by the devil? <laughs> sure yeah and johnny mnemonic which i think he's only in one scene of right i mean i think like there's a bunch of people that are in only one scene of i mean i feel like that's part of making an udo kier retrospective is that there's a lot of movies that he's in only one scene like we need <laughs> we need point. a creepy european doctor or businessman type <laughs> <laughs> like you show all of grindhouse just for that one moment that he's in the cast in the trailer for that werewolf movie <laughs> yeah uh yeah so moving on this last letter is from alana last name withheld and she writes blazer dear floppers what happens when you see all the movies books other podcasts thanks alana yeah dan what are we gonna do when we've watched all the movies uh we're gonna this is a question we're gonna have to deal with at some point yeah what's the uh, we're going to turn into a coffee review show. <laughs> we're just wow, different roasts great. of coffee. Yeah, I love it. We're going to, and this is going to be hard for Elliot because oh, he's boy. not really a big coffee fan, but so I don't like coffee. Well, I'll be the guy who's that there. So many podcasts have the one guy who's like, well, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like, like true crime. Or, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the Jimmy Kimmel to your Ben Stein, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On when Ben Stein's money. Yeah. I'd be the, I'd the guy who's like, I don't, I don't think this true crime story is interesting. I don't like these things. Uh, Why are we treating real people's lives that really suffered as if it was like a fictional movie that we can take thrills from? <laughs> Ooh, so real. 
that's my real problem with true crime podcasts or true crime of any any type but with a lot of true crime nonfiction, yeah. like the writer is trying to figure out like what does this crime mean mm-hmm. but i feel like with podcasts they just tell the story and at the end they're like maybe this is about i don't know we're obsessed with success i don't know and that's it yeah i mean yeah. i think aren't we all i think aren't all forms of entertainment just playing to some fetish or another and true crime's just a little more obvious about it maybe and but not as obvious as porn that's the most obvious form of entertainment that plays. No to a kidding, Elliot. <laughs> Tell me more after the episode. Well, <laughs> Alana, I hope that answers your question about true crime. Uh, <laughs> but luckily for us, you'll, we'll never see all the movies because there's. Too Have many you ever movies. seen the movie True Crime? Uh, with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I remember seeing that when it came out. Okay, question answered. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a very serviceable kind of like. You know, crime thriller. There's not much to it, really. Yeah. Um, listen, guys. Now what? Uh, just one more time. We need to come to you and say it's the Max Fund Drive and uh, ask you to donate at MaximumFun.org. Um, slash. Slash donate. Sorry. I mean, I'm sure you could find it if you just went to MaximumFun.org, but it's easier to go to MaximumFun.org. Uh, you know what? Slash just go to Google donate. and put in Maximum Fun. Something and then see what comes up. Go to maximumfund.org slash donate and pick how much you're going to donate per month, pledge it, set it up, set it and forget it. It'll just go on and we'll appreciate it every month and we'll say thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Just grip it and rip it. Uh, look, monthly member bag it and tag it. <laughs> monthly memberships are how our show survives. I mean, that's grill it and spill that's it. That's the bottom line. Uh, it's sometimes hard to all get together and do these, uh, shows. Not that we don't love each other and love doing it, but it's, it's, it can be, it can be a real fucking chore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Occasionally. Uh, and so having money come in really helps us, uh, stay enthusiastic about what we're doing. And, uh, on your part, you'll feel good because you know that you're helping us, uh, make this podcast that you love so much. I was being sarcastic, but I don't think Dan was being sarcastic. <laughs> well, I'm the one I'm the one who has to put the podcast online. So I, I do a lot of the grunt work associated with the podcast that's a little less fun than just uh broadcasting. But uh that's neither yeah, here nor I, there. But you're right, because because I have all the fun of handling the that's accounts. That's true. Elliot also <laughs> has a not so fun job. And I have the job of being the face man of the operation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Stuart handles a lot of our production stuff for it for us uh, affiliated and associated products and mm-hmm. things. We all play our part. Yeah. But it's hard, especially hard for Stuart. He actually is kind of the public face of the podcast since he's the one member of the podcast where you, anybody in the world can just go up to him. <laughs> they know where he's working. But. Yeah, it's true. Uh, we already went through the pledge gifts, so I won't go into details. I just want to say very quickly, run through them again. At $5 per month, you get that exclusive bonus content. At $10 per month, you get the enamel pen designed by Megan Lynn Cott, uh, specified to each show. For $20 per month, you get that Max Fun Family Cookbook. And for $35 per month, you get a one-liter juice carafe with, engraved with the Max Fun Rocket logo. Uh, and then there are higher levels of donations as well that you can find about found find out about at maximumfund.org forward slash donate. Um, I I don't know if there's anything else to say about this right now. It's just that we appreciate your support very mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, we do. Thank you for listening. You know, listen. If you can't, if you genuinely can't afford it, 
just thank you for listening. But those who can, you know, think about donating. Yeah, think about it. Well, so, think about it and then do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, don't just think about it. Do it. <laughs> Call to action. Think about something. So uh, what do we do next? Hashtag thinking about it. Uh, next up, we have the last segment of the show uh-huh. where we get positive and we recommend movies. <laughs> rather <laughs> To leave everybody with a, with a sweet taste rather than the bitter taste of the layover. Yeah. Uh, so I'll recommend a movie I saw recently, a movie that's still in theaters, or maybe it's not by the time that this podcast comes out. We're recording a little early for this one, uh, but it's called The Death of Stalin, uh-huh. and it's Armando Iannucci who did The Thick of It in uh, England, that uh, very funny television show. He did Veep uh, until very recently when he handed over the reins to someone else. He did the movie In the Loop. And it's a similar style of sort of fast-talking, everyone's kind of venal and uh, and looking out for themselves uh, political story. But it's based on the true story of when Stalin died and the jockeying for power that happened after it. So it's got this, even though it's very funny, it also has this dark undercurrent because people are getting shot left and right during uh, all of the power plays. And... Uh, it's just, you know, it's got a great cast. It's very funny, as I said. And um, as far as I know, from what I've read, it's surprisingly accurate to history for this kind of movie. I Yeah, because they all spoke English. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you mean uh, like English, the official language of the Middle Ages? <laughs> Or fantasy <laughs> yeah. worlds and ancient yep. Rome. I yeah. uh, I haven't seen Death of Stalin yet. I want to see it, but it's currently the most described movie by dudes to their Tinder dates. I overhear at the bar. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? That's a, that's surprising. It's to like me. the most like. I mean, you know, we we cater to a pretty a pretty intellectual bro clientele. Mm. <laughs> well, go ahead and see it. Um, I'm going to recommend a movie that I am. I was like almost a hundred percent positive I would I'd already recommended, but according to the Flophouse recommends uh, wiki, which is indispensable in this process, uh, a website that's lovingly maintained by Ian Whitney, um, it uh, apparently I have not recommended it, so I'm going to do that now. I'm recommending a movie from 1989 called The Blood of Heroes. Hmm. In uh, the international release name was Salute of the Jugger. Uh, it's a post, it's a movie about a post apocalyptic sport where traveling bands, uh, basically teams go from village to village and they play in a game that involves taking a dog skull and sticking it on a, on a, on a stick. Um, and this movie was, uh, written and directed by David Webb peoples who wrote the screenplays for Blade Runner, Unforgiven, all kinds of shit. Um, and this is the only full-length movie he ever directed. Um, and it stars Rugger Howard, Joan Chen, Delroy Lindo, Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, and it's just this great, weird little movie. Um, yeah. it's uh, So if you're a fan of like post-apocalyptic uh, settings, uh, or you just want to see those actors when they were a little bit younger, uh, or uh, you're into sports movies, you should check it out. Uh, and I'm going to recommend a movie that hasn't been in theaters for over 60 years, unless it's been revivals or I don't know. I'm going to recommend uh, a musical called It's Always Fair Weather. 
this was uh this is a gene kelly musical from uh the very end of like the big big kind of mgm musical period this might have been the last one or it's one of the last ones and it's what i'd call like a problem musical in a way because it's showing them really stretching the idea of what a musical can deal with it's about in the in movies at least and it's these three guys who are best buddies in world war ii and they say hey 10 years later we're gonna meet 10 years from now the war's just ended we're gonna meet back up again and we'll just tell each other about our lives and they meet up again 10 10 years later and they find that they the three of them have nothing in common anymore they're all kind of unsatisfied with their lives in various ways and it's the movie then kind of loses it loses its way a little bit. There's a subplot about gangsters fixing a boxing match okay. that never really quite works. I hate it and when there's, there's like sets. a casino sequence in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no casino in this one, but it's similar yeah. to that. But uh but uh the there's and uh there's a there's some some par- satire on television of the 50s, which is kind of funny, but it it's because those shows don't exist the same way anymore. It just seems crazy. But there's a bunch of really good musical numbers in it. Sid Charisse is in it, and she has one of her best numbers. It's one of the few ones I can think of that's a solo number her, for her, where she's in this this boxing gym dancing with the boxers, and it's called Baby, You Knock Me Out. Uh, and it's like it's a movie that has its ups and downs and rough patches, but it's, there's a lot of fun moments in it, and it's just really interesting seeing them being like, okay, like three years ago or four years ago they did Singing in the Rain. It's like, okay, that like kind of accomplished what musicals can do. Now, Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan directed this too. They're like, let's see what kind of story we can tell using a musical. Can we do a story that's a little more downbeat and different? And like, they can't fully pull it off with that kind of form, but what they managed to get in it is mostly really interesting and really good, and the dance numbers are fantastic. So it's always fair weather, I'll recommend. Uh, hey, before we go... Let's take care of a little business that we forgot about last time. Some business. And that's that we have a couple of live shows uh, with tickets on sale. Um, on May the 26th, we will return to D.C. We're going to be performing at the 6th and I Historic Synagogue. Uh, and on June 30th. So get ready, guys, because there's going to be a lot of Talmud study that I'm going to be leading during the show. On June the 30th, we're in Seattle at the Neptune Theater. Uh, you can buy tickets for those at the events page on the Flophouse uh, podcast website. One that I have not put on the website yet, I notice, I will get to that as soon as possible, is we also have a show in Brooklyn at our old home, the Bell House. What? And that is on the 7th of June. Uh, June 7th. So what are those dates again? May? May 26th. And what are we watching? In what Washington, are we watching DC. for the DC show? Uh, Geostorm is what we're watching. Okay, fuck yeah, oh, yeah. For the Brooklyn oh, yeah. show, we are watching The Dark Tower. That's on the seventh of June. That's so remember the June remember 7th. the names of your fathers and buy a ticket. Then, <laughs> no, it's the face of your fathers. I don't fucking. And then remember for that the shit. Seattle show on June thirtieth, we'll be watching The Mummy. This is what we have decided. Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. No, no, no. no. The new Tom Cruise one. Boris Karloff's The Mummy. No, the Tom Cruise one. The new failed attempt to do the dark universe that Universal really wanted to make happen. Uh, Oh, they're still trying. I I heard that the Bride of Frankenstein movie is back, has been revived. And so every year I think Universal will try to get this dark universe thing going. But I'm genuinely very curious to see that movie. I have no idea if it's going to be... uh, salvageable. I hope that Russell Crowe gets to do an accent. 
What? I hope Russell Crowe gets to do an accent <laughs> oh, okay. other than Australian. <laughs> uh, so buy those. T- if you're in Washington, D.C., come see us May 26th. If you're in New York, come see us June 7th. If you're in Seattle, come see us June 30th. Yes. Oh, yeah. And thank you, listeners, for sticking with us uh, through this very long episode. Uh, a little longer because we're promoting the Max Fund Drive so hard. Uh and we were talking we about, talked the layover. about the layover kind of hard not a to, long time. To Dude, if time. you go to the I don't know who what champion did this, but if you go to the the layover uh, IMDb page, the plot summary is so fucking exhaustive. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the it entire script. Did it. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I'm, I'm working on ways to streamline my plot summaries. There's just so much so much to pick apart in a movie. Like yeah. That. Uh, OK, well. Guys, it's been great uh, doing a show with you, but now it's time to sign off. Okay. So for the po- for the flop house, rather, uh-huh. <laughs> I've been Dan McCoy. Oh, yeah. Dan still got it. I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalen, enjoying Dan's near-perfect record <laughs> of flubs, mix-ups, and loops. <laughs> See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Right. It's a movie with no. Jo- it's a comedy with no jokes in it. Yeah, it's Aaron Sorkin style, baby. <laughs> okay, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whoa, that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my phone fell over. We thought you died for a second. I yeah, did. I thought, I thought we had now. a. I thought we had an unfriended situation. Yeah, I no, would no, love my, uh, my... if Unfriended Two was not whatever it's about, which I'm sure is great. But I wish Unfriended Two was about like podcasters using skype (laughs) (laughs) all right uh yeah don't worry guys uh i saw i saw a bright light ahead of me just now and then i heard the voice of my grandfather and he said it's not your time yet you have to stay on earth and talk about the layover (laughs) (laughs) maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned listener supported